Yo, 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 it's your host, Spinx, Nothing's Normal Podcast. And I'm here introducing Righteous Felon Craft Jerky, ladies and gentlemen. It's an all-natural uh, jerky, beef jerky, excellent source of protein, good for you gym heads like myself, good post-workout meal or snack, I should say. Um, they got some cool names, too. Shout out to the uh, Righteous Felon. You know, I know a lot of felons. I'm a felon myself, so... Uh, this really hit different. My favorite would be uh, the teriyaki Balboa. If you know me, those are obvious reasons. Uh, my balls got uh, the boxing gloves. Uh, we got the Maryland Monroe. Now, for those who've been to Maryland, you know what they're known for, good old crab seasoning. So we got the Maryland Monroe. And finally, I'm going to give you all one more, the Soul Survivor. <laughs> the Soul Survivor, Korean barbecue inspired. Tastes like rib tips. You won't know the difference. Uh, if you want to give these snacks a try, you head over to their website at RighteousFelon.com. Type in promo code POLY15 for a discount on this excellent, healthy, delicious snack. Yo, 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 Nothing's Normal Podcast. It's your host, Spitinks. Back at you with another episode, man. As you can see, man, you know, I saw this face on, on, on the platform before, you know, it was worse first, but we make it greater later, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I got Unk next to me, man, who I got to the left, let's get right into oh, it, man, man. we ain't horse playing, who's this? My name is Chris Latimer, and I might be your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Latimer, now, you know, to, to the urban community, we know him as Latimer, but you know, uh, Chris Latimer, let's, get, let's, let's say That's his it. name correctly. Yeah, get it right, man. Let's get it right. like Charlemagne right now. You know what I'm saying? First time I ever went on the Breakfast Club, he, he tore my name up. He hit you with the Lattimore? Yeah, it's all yeah. good. Though. Shout we out family to, now. Shout out to the guy. Shout out to Charlemagne, man. Well, look, man, y'all know the motto over here, enough is normal. We don't go straight to page 50 and all that. I know Unk probably like 50 years old, but, you know, we going to start at page one. Hey, listen, know? I ain't no shame in my game. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm 55. Yeah, for sure. He look good. You looking good. No Let me doubt. shake your hand, no man. Doubt. Yeah, appreciate you. Yes, good to see you, hey, Good to see you, too. See you been in the gym again. Yeah, I'm back, Probably baby. today, probably five minutes ago. A little bit. You know, I'm back. It's safe to say I'm back. God is good. All the time. Let's get into it. Um, Listen. Um, before we get into your story, the who's who and the what's what, man. Mm. Where you from, big boy? White Plains, New York, till I die. White Plains. Shout out to White Plains. White Plains, stand up. No you doubt. don't mind me asking, where in White Plains? Oh, man. You know, I grew up on Lexington Avenue. You know, I'm a product of rent control housing, okay. like most of us. Yeah. You know, 235 South Lexington, the Grand House. That's crazy that you say that, because at, at some point in my life, I, I lived in the Grand House. You nice. Know Shout out to the Grand House. And uh, how was life for you over there in the grounds? What was White Plains like back in them days, back in the, in the 60s? Slash, wow. uh... <laughs> well, well, back then, we were definitely more together. Right. Um, everybody kind of played their role in the community. Like most communities, we had hustlers, um, drug dealers, number runners. Um, but we also had HBCU graduates. Mm -hmm. We had black folks that, you know, uh, went to Ivy League schools. Right. Um, we had hard workers that worked for the city. You know, um, the best part about my life is I, I kind of, I feel that I grew up through all the dope eras of music, like all of it, from Parliament, Funkadelics to, you know, um, club music, house music, mm. R&B, the real R&B, not yeah. the fake R&B, <laughs> you know, hip hop and all that. So, but the community of White Plains, like a lot of people don't know, 
Like back in the day, there was two stops when you came up from the South, um, whether you came back from, came up from Alabama mm-hmm. or Georgia or South Carolina, North Carolina, whenever, Virginia, whenever you came up, there was two stops. The first stop was Harlem, and the second stop was White Plains. Ooh. So the Greyhound bus terminal stopped there. So there was a, a crazy influx of people from the South that came up here um, and, and made it to that second stop of White Plains. And my mother and father happened to be two of them. Beautiful. Yeah. That's amazing. That, that actually pivoted to my next question as far as the household. What was your dynamic like in the household? Was you raised by your mom and dad? Um, definitely raised by both, but right. not in the same household. Okay. Um, mom and pop split up when I was three. Okay. Um, and it's kind of like my mom was kind of more to herself, a nurse, hardworking. My pops was, you know, everywhere. My pops helping everybody, working at the church, painting the church, deacon of the church, trustee of the church. Right. So even though they weren't together, you know, and the church happened to be three blocks away from my house. So okay. he had his yeah. hand on me, um, you know, but of course, like most kids, you know, there's that gray area when your pop's not there every day. Of course. And that kind of leads us to another place, you of know course, what I'm saying? Yeah. So it did the same to me like it did to most of us. Um, and I really, I love my city. Because I feel like my city raised me. So as I walked into that gray area, I had some OGs that kind of guided yeah. me. Sometimes in the wrong places, but most of the time in the right places. And um, we had a lot of great inspiration in this area, man. A lot yeah. of great inspiration. And 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 that's that's great because it, it takes a village. And I feel All like day. our culture, that's what we're missing more so nowadays. Like nowadays, the neighbor, see back in your day, like the, the neighbor was, they treated yours like theirs. Right. So what was the structure like, especially Lexington? That's a um, historic block for us over here in Westchester, especially where we from, like, you know, that one way street, man, a lot go on on that one way street. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? So, you know, tell us. Well, when I was growing up, that joint was two way. <laughs> okay. Um, Page But block. I mean, you know, I grew up, I, I think 79, we had the blackout, you know what I'm saying? When cats hit all the stores around the area. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the dynamic of that block was was crazy because I lived in the Grand House and then there was the projects, right. right? So the mentality was the people that lived in the Grand House had more money than people lived in the projects. But the ironic thing is that people in the projects, some of them was paying way more rent than the people that lived in the Grand House. Um, so it was weird. It wasn't like there was beef or nothing, but if you lived in the Grand House, it was kind of like, you know, if you wasn't about that life, like, don't go down to the project. Yeah, you know, yeah. so I heard that from, like, five years old to 18 yeah. years old. Don't go down to the project. So I used to get those crazy looks when I was down, sitting in front of 159 or at Chili Pimps or at Esau's or, or at, um, at at Cox and Phillips or anywhere on the block. You know, I get those dirty looks from the people that I grew up with or around my way yeah. as they walked up the way. You know, and, and it's again, it's that gray area shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like that gray area, that gray area is what makes entrepreneurs though. Right. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that gray area, like if you could figure out how to handle the dynamic of the street and maneuver around that, you know, that makes entrepreneurs. And, right. and back to your point about the community, you know, because these kids don't go outside, they don't 
have to figure out how to decipher through that gray area, right? So you don't have to figure out how to get home from the bully because you could run to the school bus, get on the school bus, get out your house and go upstairs. You ain't had to figure out how to walk by his building. You ain't had to figure out the dynamic of the girl you liked and how you're going to talk mm -hmm. to her when she's walking towards you on the street. You know, you could be half a man and be texting to her now. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> and, 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 you know, because of that, you know, we've lost a lot of, of our of our great entrepreneurs and we've lost the soul of our community. You know okay. what I'm saying? That's that's deep. That's nah, deep. That's facts. So that's facts. It's safe to say you was one of the ones who crossed the street from po po Cross Post Road. You wasn't just staying on that side of yeah, Post Road. Yeah, man, was, listen. You was good. You was crossing the street. You wasn't nah, sneaking to Kennedy's. You wasn't smart, one of those. Smart. First of all, there's no Kennedy's. Kennedy's was a pizza shop when Damn. I was growing up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, but yeah, no question. Right. I, you know, I, st I loved my building and where I was, but I definitely crossed Post Road. Yeah. You know, I definitely ventured into Manhattan Avenue and the park. I definitely ventured into School Street. I definitely ventured into Fourth Ave. You know, I, I was everywhere. Yeah, you know, cross, yeah, yeah. cross so, county with it. I can, yeah. tell, I can say you, you know, yeah, of watching course. you as a, as a youngin, you was cross county. I, right, that's dope. As far as schools, you know, White Plains, I got fifty thousand schools. It's like nah, schools that come you can on, think man. of. Stop, like, stop. Lord I mean, we, we definitely got a lot of schools, right. that, you know, Catholic schools, what have you, mm -hmm. you know, public school, you know. Um, What's Graham, did you attend, guy? So I went to, <laughs> I went to Mamaroneck Avenue. This this is like funny. This is a funny dynamic. I went to Mamaroneck Avenue from kindergarten to fourth grade, and Mamaroneck Avenue school was up the block from Decal. Yeah. So that's how I got cool with all the Decal cats because they the went to school with me. And then there was two buildings on Mamaroneck Avenue, on Old Mamaroneck Road, 6559, I believe. And that's how I got cool with them, them cats. Then I went to Highlands. Now, the Highlands dynamic was crazy because we were in the fifth and sixth grade, but Highlands back then used to be a junior high school. So it went up to the ninth grade. So I was fifth grade, you know, being around cats with the hormones. So, you know, like cats <laughs> getting into their hormones, right? Yeah. Like eighth and ninth graders. Yeah. So... You know, you really had to figure out that dynamic, how to keep from getting punched in the mouth, you know, how to how to be around, knowing when to shut up, when to speak. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, and then them cats also taught you things like cutting class, where to go, you know, and you're in the fifth grade. Absolutely. So you can't really cut class, but sometimes yeah. we'd be stupid enough to try with them. Yeah. But um, so I went to uh, Highlands. Okay. And then they opened up Eastview School. Um, mm -hmm. Eastview, uh, that was a middle school. So I went to fifth and sixth grade. Then I went to Eastview for seventh and eighth, and that's when I started wilding out. And um, and my father sent me to South Carolina, so I, oh, wow. I, I, I so, and that's what I'm saying. I'm a, I'm, you know me. Even when we talking in the streets, I always keep it a buck with you. You know, even when you wilding out, you know what I'm saying. But you know, I I actually stayed back in the seventh grade. So here's the crazy dynamic about me in the hood is that, you know, when I was in the fourth grade and the fifth grade. I was in gifted and talented. So it was like the 15 smartest kids in the district, you know, of all colors. There's only about three three black people. Right. And and we were, you know, we were using computers back then when cats didn't even know what computers were. And we were like going trips and it was like all of these, this program to challenge you. But the cats that I wanted to be with, the cats, you know, up and down the Ave and the cats that I that I loved. You know, they weren't in gifted and talented. So I started dumbing myself down and I got really wild with it about the seventh grade and I ended up staying back. And uh, and then my parents moved me to Anderson, South Carolina for the eighth grade. 
So I went to the eighth grade in Anderson, South Carolina. And then I was down there with my grandmother, changed my life. And then my uncle came down from L.A. And then he moved me to California. So I went to school at Wanimi wow. High School as a yeah. freshman. And then after freshman in Wanimi, I came back to to uh, as a sophomore in White Plains High School. But, you know, now I'm fly. I could pop lock. And you know what I'm saying? I could dance. And, you know, <laughs> I had, the, had the shag and had the gear and all the rest of that. And I came smack dab in the Lee era. So, you know, we was on our fly guy and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah. And uh, school was, you know, it was, you know, they, nowadays they circle up big for fights. Back then we used to have battles, you know what I'm saying? Like we used to have dance, dance battles off, in the gyms. and Stomp the yard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were not no stomp the yard, but like we was oh. nice with it, break dancing, popping and all the rest of that. It was a... It was a different <laughs> dynamic, man. You know, it was dope, though. Yeah, you know? I wish we could have saw it, man. Somebody yeah, pull yeah. a tape out, man. My yeah. boy, nah, break they out there, they out there. Watch it now. I know so, you slick with the mouth. Watch it now, man. Hey, <laughs> my world storm. Look, okay. I noticed one thing, though. We skipped high school, man. What's going on with the? Hey, always get tricky with White Plains guys when they come to high school. They talk about all the way up to middle school, then it goes blank. What high school did, did you go I to? Went, the infamous I, White Plains High School I went that we to, hear about. I went to White Plains High School for one year, my sophomore year. Okay. Um, I played white. I played basketball for White Plains High School, sophomore, junior, the beginning of my senior year. Then. You know, I stopped playing ball. Right. But yeah, I was I was at school with Mustafa and you know the whole crew and 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 Magic and Magic was the man on the football team and and Tiger Bailey was the man on the basketball team and you know and it was and and it was the beginning of the crack era and you know and cats had money and you yeah. walk in the bathroom and there'd be ten thousand dollars in the pot at a high school you know uh, CeeLo game in the yeah. bathroom. And uh, it was, you know, we was, we was fly. Like, we was, what year you know, was this? Uh, 85, 86. Hey, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. dope. Okay. And then, I, but then, so then the crazy thing was, I was so bad in, well, I wasn't bad. I just wasn't going to school and I just discovered girls. So I was a little, you know, wilding out and uh, ended up going to Rochambeau. There we go. So technically, I graduated from Rochambeau and went to Howard, which is crazy, right? So well, I graduated from the alternative Who'd school. Who'd you pay off? And nobody, you know? I, I graduated <laughs> from the alternative school and ended up going to Howard University. But but that class of cats I was in, like, we had a couple kids in the alternative school that went Ivy League. Yeah, shout you know out to Rochambeau. I don't want to, I'm, I'm, I'm just horse playing with, with Unc Ray. No, you ain't. You, you know, serious, I'm horse playing. Man. You know, you to shout out to Rochambeau, because I know a lot of kids that graduated from Rochambeau that just had behavioral issues like you know right. somebody could consider me having behavioral issues growing up but somebody you know, I'm, I'm sharp as a knife <laughs> man I'm, I'm a genius but, but um yeah shout out to that so Howard Howard University so mm -hmm. how'd you even get into Howard coming from Rochambeau was you on like one of them little sports scholarships nah or? nah none of that well, how did that I, process I, I, go I, you don't hear that too often unless yeah. it's a sports or you have you know some sort of scholarship some sort of gift to get to one of these schools coming from Rochambeau shout out so, to Rochambeau so you know to go back to the community point, right? You know, because of how I grew up, and see, and also back then in White Plains, like we had Scottish families and Filipino families and Italian families and 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 and, and other white families, and we and Spanish and Jamaican and Haitian, and we were we were welcome in their households. Okay, so that rounded me out very well. So I knew how to handle a room, no matter who yeah. was in the room, mm -hmm. and I wasn't indoctrinated 
with that bow down in front of the white man when you're in a meet in a business meeting or in his environment. So I always stood strong. So I ended up going to Howard because Jay Perry um, and uh, and his mom, but uh, Barbara Perry. Uh, who just recently passed away? Rest God bless. Who's Jay Perry for the audience? For the so, viewers who don't know Jay, of course I know Jay Perry. Right, I, Shout out to Jay Perry. <laughs> so Jay Perry is my man. He went to Howard University. He's from Greenberg. He's I think he's the head detective at Greenberg Police I right now. So. Yeah, yeah. I so so, Jay Perry. so Jay was the first one and kind of like my crew that went to Howard, and uh, he told me to come down and visit him. You know. I went down there for the wrong reason. I ain't gonna front, but I ain't gonna get into details yeah, with, nah, with nah, you nah, right nah, now. Nah, you know federal, what I'm federal, federal. So I went down there with the for, for the wrong reason. So I went down there the first two days. You know, whatever business I was on, I was done. And uh, the Saturday morning, I'm in the house, and Jay and all of them left the house. You know, he had a big. They had a big house with like five, six people, maybe about eight people staying in there. Mm-hmm. But that's how it went down and how it. So they all left. So this dude came, knocked on the door. I was like, yo, is Jay there? And I'm Jay here. And I'm like, you know, when he's knocking on the door, I'm screaming through the house. Like, yo, somebody open the door. Like, what's up? So I get up and ain't nobody in the house. So then dude comes in. He's like, yo, where's Jay at? I'm like, I, I don't know. He's like, oh, he probably went up on the yard. I'm like, the yard? What's that? He's like, oh, the yard, Howard. You know, he's probably up on the yard. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, yo, let me get dressed and I'll go up with you on the yard. So we walk up on the yard and man, like my whole, I probably had like five of these moments in my life where just like your whole life is in front of you because, you know, me being in gifted and talented and being in the White Plains High School, in the White Plains School District, it made you feel like there was only three intelligent black people in your class. Right, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that was the design, right? Mm. Because conceptually all of us have behavioral problems, right? So they couldn't get to our genius because they couldn't get to our genius without coming through, you know, getting past the behavior issues. But the reality was is that our life was so exciting in the hood that school was really, really boring. Like we wasn't Mm -hmm. really being fed with knowledge, you know, in school because we were being fed with street knowledge at such another level. And that's what we had every day that when we got to school, it kind of felt like uh, this is what we supposed to do, yeah. but this is what I have fun doing, and this yeah. is what I love, and this is me being around my people. And they kind of play with that dynamic. So when I got to Howard, when I was walking across the yard, man, it's like five, ten thousand 10,000 people out there. Damn. They were intelligent. They were having intelligent conversations, but they was fly. You know what I'm saying? Like they was wearing the same clothes everybody was wearing in the hood on steroids, but then they was wearing designer outfits. They was getting out of 190E Mercedes Benzes, which was the hot car back in the day. Some of the ladies had on mink. Some of them had on ear knocking earrings and straw hats. And it just bugged me out because in my mind, I'm in, I'm caught up in that whole concept of there's only three smart people that are black. Color, yeah. In the whole school district, yeah. and now I see oh. five and ten thousand, and I'm blown. You know, yeah. and it's so crazy. Up until that point, this is my senior year. Up until that point, the only time I ever heard about a historical black college university was when Grambling played the Urban League game, and back then they used to play that joint in Yankee Stadium. Okay, yeah. So that was only that was my only not. I didn't even know there was a school just for us. So so after that weekend, when I came back home. I was like, yo, I'm going to Howard University. Like, yeah. that's that's what type of time I was on. Yeah. And uh, the principal of Rochambeau at the time, I remember his name, John Garcia, 
When I walked in his office that Monday and I told him I want to go to Howard University, he laughed at me for about five minutes. <laughs> like real talk. And, and I get it. I get the kid he's seen in that school. Right, absolutely. But, you know, if somebody come to you and say that, like, give me, laugh at me for 30 seconds. Yeah, not, not but then ask me, are you serious? Yeah. But he, so there was two people um, in that school, uh, a lady named Janet and uh, Fred Singleton, who was a track coach at White Plains High School. When I told them that, they said, if I'm serious, they'll help me get there, they'll help me do the work, help me prepare for SATs. I killed the SAT, like a legendary score out of that school, um, and then uh, put in my application for Howard, and uh, I wrote a, I wrote a 10-page letter on why I should be at Howard. And while I was writing it, I'm reliving my life. I'm crying, a couple tears got on it. And I, you know, I didn't stop writing it, I just kept writing it. But the thing that got me into Howard that I believe is, it's just my creativity, which comes from the hood, right? After I wrote the 10-page letter, I put the 10-page letter in my application in a FedEx envelope. Because I <laughs> knew the lady at the yeah. register's office never got a FedEx in her life. Yeah. And this is back when FedEx was like 200, 100, yeah. right? And it was only next day. You only got it in the morning. That was it. Like, yeah. there was no 3 p.m. and all the rest of that. And I sent it to him. And then, you know, you sit on pins and needles for about 30 days, and then I got the acceptance for me to start in... And uh, not not in August for the for the fall semester. I started in the spring semester in January, and I went down to Howard, man, and it changed my life. Congratulations! Yeah, no, I appreciate you, man. I seen that tear swell up in your eye too. That was crazy. You know what I'm saying? That that, I appreciate that, especially like like you said, like we we grow up in that bubble where we feel like, you know, this is everything that the world has to offer. Right. Until you experience something different. So as far as DC, you know, how did D? Because you know Howard University, that's in the heart of DC. Oh yeah. And you know, there's a big stigma on DC. You know, I got my, I got family out there, like my pop side of the family, like they don't, they not too confined in New York, man. Right. Uh, how was that experience for you maneuvering down there? And uh, um, who were you around when you were around there? I know you know you you. It was them, crazy. So when like I got outside. when I got down to Howard as a freshman, I stayed off campus immediately. Right. So um, normally you stay. You know, in the dorms, Drew Hall is which are which is around Whoa. the campus. But so I stayed out and um I was out in northeast DC off 18th Street. And um you know, you know, yeah, you yeah. know the areas. But but we were in like, you know, brownstone area. I mean, it was cool, man. I the thing about my life at Howard is it mocked my life in White Plains, right? So I'd hang with, you know, I found the locals. And I went to the black hole and the go-go spots, the tracks. Uh, well, tracks wasn't a go-go spot, but they had go-go nights. Uh, East Side, Chapter Three, the famous club where Alpo and Wayne Perry and all them used to be at. You know, so I found my local niche. Right. You know, um, then I had my college cats. I hang with one of my boys was the Alpha. My roommate was the Alpha, so I hang with them type of cats. And yeah. then, you know, and then it was just the college life stuff. So Howard life was crazy. Yes, D.C. cats hated the guts of the cocky New York cats. Like, you had to know how to move down there. Okay, yeah. Definitely. You know what I'm saying? Where you go. Like, you know, if you came down there on that, I'm going to take over to, yeah. you know, they're going to give you enough rope to hang yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and hanging is... They're going to put mambo is a, sauce is a, on you. It's a, right. It's a real hanging. Um, so, yeah, man, I mean... I've been around it all. Some of my boys been chased through the back of houses, being shot at by DC cats. Um, you know, I, I it's so crazy, man. Like back in those days, 
You know, I remember one time we were at chapter three. It used to pop on a Sunday night. So, you know, we used to shape, save our little money. We wanted to be fly, so we get yeah. bottles of, of uh, it was regular Moet back then. So I'm chilling with these cats, you know, don't really know who they are. We drink a Moet, we're chilling, we take a picture, da da da. I take the picture and I bring it back to my crib. And one of my boys from DC comes in and he's like, yo, yo, who's this? I'm like, oh, some cats in DC I was chilling with. And one of them <laughs> cats was Wayne Perry. Oof. Yeah, but but again, man, like what Free a cat's Wayne, known man. for yeah. is is one thing. Right. How they are as a human, you of know, course, yeah. if, if you bridge the gap or if you bring the wildness, then you're yeah. going to get the wildness, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, man, I, I, the DC life was cool to me, man, because I just knew how to, I learned from the hood how to play my position. Absolutely. You know, Got and always to. being around older people, you learn how to play your position. I just played my position and... When they asked, when they called on me to be from New York, then I was from New York. Absolutely. Other than that, I was just a regular dude. That Chris Latimer. Them and yeah, yeah. I don't know about that, but well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying shorty and yeah, Charlie yeah. and okay, all yeah, that. The John yeah. Jonan. All that bomb yeah, sauce yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, what's yeah. up, young? All that. Okay. At some point, right? I'm ready to turn the heat up now. Oh, here we go. I'm ready to turn the heat up. At some point, you know, I know you for, uh, you know, party promoting. Big, mm. huge parties, local parties. Before we get into the, you know, the Cancuns and the extravagant parties and things of that nature, you know, as far as party promoting, what, who inspired that idea? And, you know, who were some figures that inspired you as far as in the game period? And what I mean by the game, you know, we're going to say the streets, mm -hmm. but I know at some point, you know, you was running around, you, you had your time right before you, you know, Pivoted into party promoting, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, talk to us about that transition and transition to want to even be. So, so the one thing about our hood between White Plains, Greenberg, Elmsford is that we party. We got dance. We had dancers, you know, all in the whole community. We had skaters, and you know, and we like to get fly, right? You know, so because of that, you can find crews of people going everywhere. Yeah. Like if you. You, just like you could sit in front of 90 Manhattan and the cat would pull up. You're like, yo, where you going? And the cat, oh, I'm going to the palace, yo. I'm, let me hop in. I'm going to rock with you real quick. And you sitting in front of 159. Yo, where you going? Yo, we going to the quarters. Yo, but we going, you know, we going to do this and we spending money like this. So, you know, you got to make sure you got at least four or five hundred in your pocket. Yeah, let's go. So, you know, to take it back even further, when I was young, we had big DJ crews, right? So around our way, the crew from the projects was a Soundwave crew. The crew from Lake Street was um, a Dream Team. Hmm. And then I think uh, Ferris Avenue. I forget. I think they might have called themselves FAP or something like that. I, I don't know what the crew was up there, but that was like KO and them and Ty Hudson and them. So we used to battle, you know, as hip hop was coming up. We battled DJ-wise. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really that crazy nice with the scratches, but I knew the reggae set. I knew the R&B and the house set, and I had the money to get the records. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I found my place in the crew. Yeah. And, um, and then cats would hire us, you know. And, you know, when we was young, you know, sometimes they just give us some pairs of sneakers. You know, back then, sneakers ain't cost nothing. So as I was peeping the game, it was like, you know, we DJing three, 400 people coming in, paying $1, $2, if you late, $5, you know what I'm saying, to come in, and this cat is getting the sneakers. And I'm like, I might be on the wrong side of this transaction. <laughs> yeah, you know right, what I'm saying? Absolutely. So 
at a young age, I started throwing parties, you know, and they were small. We'd do them at the Slater Center. And even sometimes we had a community room at the Grant House. We'd do them down there. And uh, I just got the party bug. And then my first big party was um, I uh, rented Stouffer's out on Red Oak Lane. I don't know if you know that spot yeah, out there. Stouffer's Hotel. It's the, the Renaissance, it's the Renaissance the Hotel now. Yeah. So I used to have a big ballroom upstairs. And my first big hip-hop party was Big Daddy Kane. And then there was a rap group called the Dismasters. And I brought them up to Stouffer's. And the crazy thing is, before I threw this party, uh, they changed the drinking age. So when I booked the venue, I was like maybe 19. And then they changed the drinking age to 21. So Ooh. technically, my first big party, I wasn't old enough to be in it because I wasn't at a drinking age. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So we did that party, and, and, it, and, it, and it blew up, and it was crazy. And I used to regularly do places down, you know, do parties there. And then it just... It just spread like a disease, man. When I was at Howard, I used to do parties at a place called the Clubhouse, a place called WUST, um, which is still there, I think. Right. You know, and even back then at Howard, like I used to be the big promoter, and Puff and Walt G and all them cats was the dancers. So they dance in the circle in the middle of the party, and you know they was the fly guys with the big silk shirts and the baggy, yeah. you know, but they was the dancing dudes, okay. you know, with the gumbies and all yeah. the rest of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was the party promoter cat, okay. you know, and then it just took off from there. Okay, because that, that's dope, because I was going to ask you if you took your party show on the road. So you honestly oh. really started from the body, you started from oh. Slater Center, yeah. all the way down, you know, to the... And to I mean, I really took it on the road. Yeah. I was, a, I threw the first, I threw a party for Queen Latifah at Paramount Studios in L.A., and it's the first time in 20 years that they ever closed the gates of Paramount Studios because too many people came. It was like after the beat, after um, Soul Train Awards. Um, I threw a party for Lennox Lewis in, uh, in Vegas with like 2,000 people, star-studded joints. I mean, I've thrown crazy parties in Miami, um, Chicago, D.C., Houston. I was the first one to throw a party um, uh after party for the NBA All-Star Weekend. I threw a party in Minneapolis, and then Prince ended up inviting us to his house for his private party that night because wow. he came by the party that I did with Ed Lover there. Um, but, yeah, man, I mean, we, you know, I've done some Oakland, um, Seattle. You know, I, I did all the after parties for the No Way Out tour with Puff. And uh, we kind of get in the puff. Yeah, yeah we kind of revolutionized right. that as well because I have my own tour bus. So, like in the history of party promoters or after party cats, yeah. nobody ever had a tour bus. But I raised enough sponsorship money where I had my own tour bus, and we wrapped the tour bus, and it was about the parties. So sometimes I stay in the city where the concert was, and if we were having slow ticket sales, I send the bus out two or three days in advance. And just drive that joint all around the hood. It was like a big mobile billboard, like a real tour bus. That's tough. And uh, and we we was killing it, city to city. Like it was it was sick. Did your party promotion company? Did you have a name for it? Was you? Yeah. Was, well, I had a couple of names. Um, when I was when I was in White Plains, it was C Note Productions. Yeah. Then it was DCL Productions. Um, then I opened up a company called The Streets in Manhattan. So we had the streets, then I had In Your Area Entertainment. Um, but yeah, and then like around 96, 97, it got fly to put your name on it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it'd be like just, Chris Latimer yeah. presents and just yeah. kind of flow like that. 
what would you say was your breakout moment as a party promoter where it was like, okay, my, when, when they hear Chris Latimer's throwing a party, it's safe to say the whole New York going to come out. Um, the breakout moment. As far so, as celebrities. So there was, a, there, was a, there was a couple of joints. The first, the first breakout ma- moment was I used to throw this party on January 1st that was like legendary college party, right? So, you know, when we came back home from school, you know, New Year's Eve was the biggest night. Yeah. So the first would always be dead, right? Absolutely. So the clubs wanted to figure out how to do some business. And and since we was young and ain't really have no real money as college students, you know, we couldn't really party at the New Year's Eve and all the rest of that stuff. So on January 1st, I used to always throw this big college party in the city. And that kind of really got my name killing, you know. And it was crazy because the first time I ever got robbed by a club owner was... It was December of 91. Yeah. So what happened was, you know, and I, I don't really want to bring this up, but I just want to keep it in text and in context for your, for your audience. So in 91, Puff threw the infamous um, City College basketball game. It wasn't just him. It was other people. Um, and, and nine people, you know, God bless the dead, uh, got crushed at that event. And the state of New, the city of New York put a war on hip hop. Now, mind you, this is a basketball game, right? Yeah. So it wasn't a party at night. It wasn't some major shooting or nothing like that. It was just a basketball game. And somebody made a mistake. You know what I'm saying? Right. There wasn't no intentions from anybody involved. Right. It was just cats was so excited to try to get in. Somebody closed the door, like on some, you know, you know, how you close the door, like they got to get under control out there, right? Somebody closed the door, but they wasn't thinking that everybody was on an incline on steps that came right to the door. So, you know, it, it was a horrible situation, but they put a mandate on no hip-hop parties in, uh, in New York. And uh, Peter, what's his name, with the patch? I don't know if it's Gershwin? Gation. Peter Gation that owned the tunnel kept my $10,000 deposit wouldn't give it back to me. Damn. And I couldn't have my party on January 1st. Oh. But yeah, I used to do this. So so my first big party was that January 1st college joint in the city, which was crazy. Um, Probably some of my legendary joints was um, I threw Puff's birthday party at Atlanta Live, that one that everybody talk about, where we had the Morris Brown band out front and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I threw that party. We We had all 50 members of the Morris Brown band playing in front of the nightclub as Puff pulled up to the party. And then inside, we had, like, all this carnival stuff. Like, I had this one dude who had this ball that he could throw, and he had a monkey, and he'd throw the ball anywhere in the club, and it had, like, a some kind of sensor in the ball. <laughs> and dude, the monkey would yeah. run all through the club to get the ball and bring it yeah. back to him. And we had snake charmers and all that. So that was a, a crazy party. And then uh, another legendary party was I used to do um, – I used to do FUBU's party at the Magic Show in Las Vegas at the Rum Jungle. And uh, that was legendary. That was star-studded. And then, of course, all of that led to my most legendary event, which is Cancun All-Star Fiesta, Memorial Day weekend in Mexico. And talk about Cancun, because as a kid, I remember I used to watch MTV. It's like 2001, and you see the Cancun spring break, them vibes. I remember the Nellies, the P. Diddy, the Puffs. 
and all of them back in them days, they was 50, they all, you know, everybody was there. And them right. parties just looked like a vibe. Right, but that audience was all white. Yeah, it was, so, absolutely. So y'all so, wasn't televised. So, so at the heat, right. at the top of what I was doing, it was 20,000 all black. Wow. Like one year we did it, the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl and the whole team came except for Elway. Like, no, no, real talk. Yeah, it, was, I believe it was like it, it was like funny. at that level. Yeah. So you know, Cancun itself, man, was just. Elway ain't one under that. I didn't even have no. I didn't even think about making Cancun event. I ain't gonna front like I sat in the office and I was like, we should go to Mexico. Yeah. Technically, what happened was what happened. Uh, Leah Wilcox, who was uh, still is involved with the NBA, but she was a heavy hitter at the NBA and like my sister, um, Greg Anthony and somebody else, we all went out to dinner and Leah was like, you gotta stop going to Miami cause we used to go to Miami for Memorial Day weekend. I need to come down to the Cancun Jazz Festival cause you know, it's so nice and da 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 da. And she's coming from, coming from a very, you know, high, you know, high end sister quality expecting, and she wants peace when she goes on vacation. So she wasn't really yeah, Miami, like us, well, yeah. right? And Miami was nuts. So then, so she gave me that speech, and like two weeks later, <laughs> you're gonna love this. Me and Lou Tucker Lou. was driving through New Rochelle, and he was like, "Yo, I gotta go check on my mom. She said she made lunch for me, whatever." And I'm like, "All right, cool. Um, you know, God bless his mom. She passed away." Um, so we go pull up in the house and we go up in the house and we sitting at the table eating and she says, um, I don't know what y'all doing with your life running around here messing with these chicken heads. Um, you know, I was down at the Cancun Jazz um, Festival and I was meeting so many young, beautiful black daughters and I mean, I mean, uh, black um, doctors and and female dentists and. And, and all these beautiful women, and y'all up here running around the streets chasing all these girls, these clubs coming in all night, and da 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 She was really going in. Right. And Lou was like, you know, you know how you never, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, he had an incredible connection with his mom, but, like, when she's getting on you in front of your friends, like, you just hear, like, the Charlie Brown, <laughs> right? But it's always your boy that's really listening. That's absolutely. Respect. So I'm listening, and I'm like, hold up. Black female doctors and lawyers and so I'm like so now I put two and two together I'm like yeah I, I got to I got to go to this joint right so it's crazy I went to my boys 5001 shout out to Guy and Troy they made me duffel bag back then we used to buy our outfits for the week so they would make custom clothes for us for you know three times a day right. and and put our Air Force Ones together with the colors and all the rest of that linen suits so I went I, I, I bought like a I think a bag and a half of clothes to go down to this jazz festival. I pull up on the airport at uh, in Newark Airport, Continental, and it was a sea of cars. And I didn't know nothing about the hour before, you know, hour before check-in back then, fly international. So I'm just go up. I go up to the ticket gate. I would tell the car, wait. I go up to the ticket gate, and I'm like, Miss, um, I'm on the blah 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 flight. It was like leaving like. 20 minutes or something. She's like, Mr. Latimer, if you don't leave with me now, you ain't going to Cancun because there's no more seats for the next three, four days. Oof. So I literally left all my clothes in the car 
and got on the plane and went to Mexico with no clothes. That's tough. And just bought my clothes while I was down there, you know. Yeah. But it's Mexico, so, you know, cats is like five, three, <laughs> five, six. So I couldn't really find no clothes yeah, to really fit nah. me. So we went down there, and we, I went down there, and it was a beautiful experience. The jazz festival was dope. The music was dope. The atmosphere was dope. And I just, I, I kind of fell in love with it. So then by the next year, I was on fire. You know, by the next year, my business was blowing up. Um, I just got offices on uh, Prince and Broadway right. in Manhattan over Dean and DeLuca. So, you know, my bread's different. All my boys is working for me. My man Griff, Wok. Um, you know, a bunch of my cats were working for me at that time. So then the next Memorial Day, I was going to Cancun, but I was flying my staff in. So I'm sitting in Puff's office, and his assistant walks in, and she's like, she's like, Lat, I hope you straight from Miami. We straight. We got this many houses, and we doing this, and we doing that. And I'm just sitting there looking at her, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Mexico. And she's like, Mexico? And then Puff walk in, and her name was Leote. She's like, Puff, guess where Lat going for Memorial Day weekend? He going to Mexico. And he's like, Mexico? I'm like, yo, I'm going to Mexico. And he's like, all right, well, yeah, you go out to wherever you go in Mexico at, whatever. We going to take over Miami. Two weeks later, Leote calls me. She's like, uh, yeah, Chris, um, Puff wants to fly 200 people to Mexico. And I'm like, yo, I ain't no travel agent. So I gave him the number to my travel agent. Yeah. And then he came down and also, God bless the dead, my man Malik Seeley, he was going down to the jazz festival with me as well. And we had so much fun down there. And it was crazy because back then there was no cell phones. I mean, it was cell phones, but it wasn't like everybody had one. So when we landed in the airport, you know, it went from like, oh, it's about 250 of us. But when we landed, it was like, 1,200 people that partied with us all over the country already. Like all, so I'm, you know, I'm people, I'm one of those cats, man. I got one of those senses, like from a business perspective, where I could just kind of vision it, visualize what's going to happen next. And I seen all them people and I was like, yo, this shit crazy. Like the airport got the capacity of one of my parties, like a thousand people. And we in Mexico. So we put a, a calendar together where I paid for, a day and a half, Puff paid for two days, and Malik Sealy paid for a day and a half. And that itinerary, we had like, we were out on yachts, we were fine dining restaurants, beach parties, stuff like that. That itinerary ended up being the event list for how I, I did Cancun. So me and Puff was dancing um, in a club called Daddy O's, and uh, I think he was dancing with Salt, I was dancing with Pepper or whatever. And we bumped into each other in the middle of the dance floor, and we just looked at each other, right? And we was like, yo, we do this next year, you know. If you do this next year, you give me 50%. If I do it next, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's the deal we made on the dance floor. But the reality was, he was caught up in bad boy. He knew I was the one that was going to make it happen. Right. But, you know, he was on fire, and, you know, he had a staff, like I had a staff, and we just put all our resources together and just... Created Cancun, All Star Fiesta. That's tough. First year we did forty five hundred. Next year we did seven thousand. And I mean, we owned all of Cancun. Like, we rented the whole Wet and Wild Water Park. You know, like the whole joint, or like seven thousand yeah, people. Like, we yeah. rented the That's whole tough. joint and took over the door. That'd never be done again. Yeah. So it's like, our, you know, how you go to the booths and it's like, yeah, 
It was all black women that worked on our staff collecting the money. Like you, like we took it over, over. Like they were running the rides and the water and all the rest That's of that. Hard. But we was collecting every dollar that walked in there, <laughs> and we were throwing. We, you know, I mean, I'm sure if you looked around, you'll find videos of my uh, my bikini contest, which is legendary. You know, it was like, you know, the pot. I start off the pot at five thousand, but it would get up to thirty thousand. And, and and people would do crazy things oh. on that stage, you know. That that was when I was living was a, living living in another life. Praise the Lord. No, no, Crockwells and Splits was not what they was doing. Oh no. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. It was more wet bottles and Ooh, classy. Yeah, no, 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 not classy. Oh, not classy. No, no, oh, not. Wet, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, okay, it was okay. It was ill cowboy, man. Talk this about some of the guests that came through there that we may know. Oh man. Um, that coming through Chris Latimer's party. So crazy. Cancun, everybody that was anybody in the early 90s was down there. Um, Iverson, the whole Fab Five, I told you, the Denver Broncos, I forget what year they won the Super Bowl, Ja Rule, uh, Mace, DMX, mm. Black Rob, we launched Nelly's career down there. Um, we blew up Ja Rule down there. I bought Jay-Z and Foxy down there. They did Ain't No Nigga in 93, which kind of launched them kind of, you know, nationally. Yeah. Because we had people from everywhere in Cancun. Right. And it was kind of like New York Cats was the curators, like, you know, what we was experienced. So Cats could actually fly into Mexico and almost be six months ahead of their town. Because, okay. you know, this is... Yeah. You know, all you got is your MTV back then, ain't no yeah, phone, yeah. social media, so you don't know what's going on. And I'm talking about at every level, fashion, the type of jewelry, the watches cats was wearing, the ways the chicks was, you know, dressing, you know, and the music and you the dances. All of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we blew up, had Donnell Jones down there. Um, I did 50 Cents down there, had Destiny's Child down there, Wyclef John. Um, wow. Yeah, it, it was Hip-hop. crazy, you know. Yeah. Jerome Bettis, Terrell Owens, um, you know. It, it, yeah, it was it was it was legendary, and it was crazy. Before oh, we, and Kid Capri, I can't shout front. Shout out to Kid, Kid Capri. Capri, all the dope DJs. Kid yeah. Capri, Biz Marquee, SNS, DJ Ace, Aggravated and Def Jam Blast out of Houston, DJ Nabs, DJ Mars, um, Twilight Tone. Yeah, we it was it was crazy. Throughout this interview, throughout, you know, you running through the history and different things, you know, you were involved with in the industry, out the industry. I noticed you mentioned Puff a few times. Mm -hmm. What what was your relationship like with Puff back in them days? How did you even come in contact and meet in Puff? So, you know, Howard, when we was at Howard, it was like a New York crew. And there's... um, There was a... There's a center called the Blackburn Center. That's where the, the... we had a place called the Punch Out that was kind of like a little, I don't know, I call it like a bar kind of chicken wing joint. And it was also like out, it was a student center. So the New York cats, there was a square wall. If you go to Howard, there's a square wall that's in front of the Blackburn Center. And that was where all the New York cats was. And that's where we hung out at. So when you came in from New York, you, you know, not no check-in, but you come over there and you know you can meet all the New York people in one place in the dynamic. Yeah. You know, and then Puff coming from Westchester, coming from Westchester, I don't know, all this other <laughs> shit. You know, he, you know, when he came into that space, 
you know, we met. And, um, you know, back then, you know, those cats was really big in the fashion. So they go down to Potomac Bills and get the clothes. And, they, had, you know, we had girls and dudes that was like great tailors, make your clothes look fresh. So I kind of met them in that environment. Right. You know, and um, and back then we was we were revolutionary. So we had a we had an organization called Black Nia Force that uh Raz Baraka started and a sister named April Silver, and they you know, Raz is the mayor of Newark. Right. Um, and about to be the governor yeah, of New Jersey. Um, so, you know, Puffin them was kind of we were with the black power public enemy type of thing. Puffing them was like the cool dancer cats, whatever. And then, you know, I told you the dynamic about when I threw the parties, he'd be the dancer at the party and stuff like that. And then I left. And when I left Howard, I went to work for uh, Craig Coleman, who's probably the most powerful man in the music business right now, or, you know, head to head with Jimmy Iovine. He's the chairman of Atlantic Records. I was the first black man he ever hired. Wow. So when I was working for his record label, which was called Big B Records, D-Dot, who was my roommate at Howard and produced a lot of Biggie's hits, and Puff would call me and ask me, how'd I get a job in the music industry? Really? And um, Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. So I would, I would tell him, um, you know, just hopefully come back home and, and kiss enough ass as an intern that you don't have to go back to Howard. Yeah. And then, you know, Puff came and kind of mastered that dynamic to the 45th power. Uh, that's his and, words, man. No, 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 no. Well, I, we ain't going to do the pause. No, we ain't going to no, do, do the pause. Do the but he came, is, yeah. he came, you know. <laughs> no, nah, but listen, at the end of the day, when you own, when, as an entrepreneur, when you own a business, if a young man comes into your space and he sounds and he's humble and he's interested and he lifts you up and he keeps you young, you know, that's kind of what I mean by that dynamic of kissing ass. It don't mean like you walk around being a sucker. So what happened was he built such a rapport <laughs> with Andre yeah. that he gave him the keys to the car. Okay. So at a young age, so you imagine, right? See, this, this is kind of the problem with a lot of dynamics is that if you get the young, cool kid and he comes in and you could give him the infrastructure and hand him the keys of the car, that could put another 10, 20 years in your business. Right, hell yeah. You know what I'm saying? Connections. So, so what Andre was, God bless the dead, smart enough to do was hand him the keys of the car, but kind of manage him, but let him run free. Yeah, and then him. as he ran free, he changed the clothing of Uptown Records. He changed the energy of the music at Uptown Records. You know, he made Father MC who he was. I don't even know if you know who he is. You know, nah. Mary J. Blige, you know, built her from the ground up. Jodeci, you know, cats from North Carolina made them fly and, 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 uh, and, and he took it, kind of took it to outer space. So now while he's blowing up at Uptown, I'm blowing up in marketing. So I had an office built on Prince and Broadway over Dean and DeLuca that was actually fe featured in Harper's Bazaar. So wow. if, you, if you Google Courtney Sloan, and my company back then was called The Streets Inc., D-A-S-T-R-E-E-T-Z Inc., you'll see my office in Harper's Bazaar. So... When Harper's Bazaar featured the office, everybody was going crazy. And everybody that would come to my office, Snoop, Puff, everybody, wow. would be like, yo, your office is like bananas. So when Puff left Andre and started Bad Boys, my, my designer designed his offices. 
And then his GM came and sat with my GM at the time and put together the whole benefits package and healthcare package and everything for Bad Boy and the infrastructure for Bad Boy. Right. But, you know, we boy. We was boys, boys, you know. So I threw, you know, I managed and put together some of the big events and parties. And, you know, we were just, you know, cats that rolled around with each other. When you say Harper's, that's the, like that's the magazine, right? Yeah, Harper's was on. Brother yeah, Muzon told Lamar the, to go get them joints yeah, in Hawaii. Yeah. Where he's like, "Oh, you forgot my Harper's." That Harper's. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that. no, no. So Harper's Bazaar was like a high-end uh, design magazine. Okay. You know, featured homes and buildings yeah. and offices and stuff like that. That's tough. So yeah, so you know, we we grinded together. We was family. We was with each other all the time and in different places. But then the dynamic shifted, you know, because again, I'm. I'm I'm with the rah rah, but I just can't 24 hour that. Yeah. And, and Puff is like the energizer buddy, like he can't stop. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So he just kind of took it to another space, and I was kind of cool in my little corporate, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, still right. checking in, but not with it every day. So safe to say, you know, that kind of fizzled out after a while. You use a lot of past tense was and yeah 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 we yeah, was yeah, yeah, this yeah. you know yeah what? yeah yeah no no for facts it um, it fizzled it fizzled out right um you know because you know it's weird man like most cats that Puff do business with there's either they only go, either go superstar or they they disappear off the map and um, at that time I was kind of established before he was established. Right. So I was his guy, you know, I was his marketing guy. Um, But, you know, when stuff started getting wild and, you know, I see the way stuff was going down, that's just not really kind of where I was brought up, you know, from from our hood, you know what I'm saying? So a lot of that stuff didn't really, you know, jive with me. But, you know, it's basically to say I passed on a lot of great ideas to Puff. Right. You know what I'm saying? One of them is, the Justin's restaurant. You know, we used to go to this place in, um, on 72nd in Columbus called the Shark Bar. And we used to, that used to be our spot. That was like our restaurant, like like Nikki Barnes and them had Copeland's and all them mm-hmm. restaurants and um, and Wells and all that back in the day. Like our spot was the Shark Bar. And one, one year my accountant was doing my, my taxes and he came to me and he was like, yo, you own part of the Shark Bar? And I'm like, what you talking about? He's like, you know, you spent like, I think it was like $75,000 or $100,000 at the same restaurant. And this is like in the 90s. And I'm like, I was getting money. I'm like, that's crazy. And he was like, yeah. So one day we was in Puff's office. And I'm like, yo, man, do me a favor, man. Yo, have your accountant look at how much money you spent in the shark bar. So he came back to me. He was like, yo, I spent like $225 or something crazy like that. And I was like, yo, we hustling backwards, man. We need to do a, a restaurant or something like, you know. So long story short, Puff went and got the dude from the Shark Bar, and they designed Justin's. And then he opened up Justin's, you know. Yeah. And um, and it was all good. Like, yeah. I didn't really want to get in the restaurant business because my boys always told me it was a horrible business. But, you know, I just wanted to spend my money someplace where I could kind of right. take it back out. Absolutely. And still, you know. Small so that... Hustle. And then, uh, and then Sean John, you know, my marketing company was strictly clothing, and um, the Mike B's and the Groovy Lou, that was all our crew, and um, you know, so I was doing the product placement, and those guys was doing style, style and video. So by product placement, I mean I'd bring in clients 
like Reebok and CCM hockey jerseys and Helly Hansen, mm. and they'd pay me ten to twenty thousand dollars a month, and then I'd pick the videos to put the product in, and uh, Mike and Groovy and June Ambrose and all them, they was the stylists. So, um, you know, I started seeing how much I put. You know, if I put some clothing in the video, let's say, let's say I put this shirt in the video. If you go and pay for a commercial on that, if you put an ad in Source Magazine, it costs ten thousand. If you put the commercial on MTV, it costs you fifty thousand. You get thirty seconds to a minute. Okay. If I put that on LL in a video, and that video is playing ten times on MTV, and that's the only thing he's wearing for three minutes, ding ding ding. Now you get the the concept right. of the impressions. Absolutely. So as we were blowing up these brands, I went to him and I was like, "Yo, dude, like." It's got to be another end to the game here on this. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I, you know, I was explaining him my dynamic. And the crazy thing is that he was helping me get paper. Plus like I, yeah, because okay. I forget one video he's wearing a Reebok soccer jersey. I put him on, put him in. And another video he's wearing a Boston Bruins. You know, and he would give me access to whatever he was working on to right. dress people or whatever the style is. So you know, and then um, from us talking about power back and forth. Then he came up with the concept of I want to get in the clothing business and uh and 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 uh launch Sean John. I actually think Groovy Lou came up with the name Sean John. I used to hear Sean John. I don't think, I don't think he, I don't yeah. think he came up with it. Yo, 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 it's your host Spanks of the Nothing's Normal Podcast. And today I'm introducing the world's first THC seltzer water, ladies and gentlemen. This right here, this is this serves the purpose of you get high. Sip around the kids. Uh you don't gotta worry about nobody being in your business, nobody sniffing you out. You gotta be trying to hide it with the cologne and all that. This over stinking. Um, this also serves as a good uh, breath refresher. I know me when I smoke, I gotta drink something. So now you you kill two birds with one stone here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, me, my personal favorite. I like this mango joint. You know, I'm I'm, I'm from the tropics. I'm a tropical brother. And listen, I'm 200 pounds plus. I could chug down some beer. One of these, I'm fried, dyed, laid to the side, ladies and gentlemen. So. Uh, don't forget, uh, over here, nothing's normal. We are under the Polymath Network. So, of course, you get a discount by using promo code POLY20. Don't worry. If you're having trouble with the spelling, I got you. P-O-L-Y, the number 20, two, zero. Promo code, get you a discount. Also, kids, stay in school. If you're not 21, uh-uh, go get your Gatorade. Legally highest seltzer water, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy. Well, yeah, man. So, so yeah, so, I mean, listen... The dynamic is this, we did some great things together. And then like most people, you know, if you ain't fam fam with people, you kind of go yeah. your, your separate ways. And we kind of went our separate ways. And um, it's all respect, but you know, it ain't, Yeah, I ain't inviting them to my cookout. No friends, no enemies. Right, right. Anybody else had bad boy at that time from the beginning that you had a relationship with that was around Puff? Oh man. Um, yeah, I mean everybody. Harv, Biggie, Mace, oh, wow. the Locks. Yeah. Um, not really the women, not really Faith and Total in them. Um, even though they, you know, wore some of my products, but not really uh, a, a relationship with them. But yeah, I mean Wolf, obviously. You know what I'm saying? Because when we threw parties, Wolf helped. You know, help puff down, and then you know he'd hold me down. You know, make sure we get the money and get where we need to go with it. Um, 
you know, my boy D-Dot was a producer there, all the hitmen, you know, me and Stevie J. Um, I actually sh- chaperoned Usher when he did his first album with Puff. You know, he stayed with me for a couple of weeks, and I built a relationship with his mother. And then ironically, one of our boys from White Plains, Jeff Blair, ended up was Usher's first uh, bodyguard when he went on the road. That's tough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's dope. What about, um, I've been watching a lot of interviews lately. I've been recently like into a lot of interviews. As you can see, podcasting is like the new thing. Uh, Gene Deal, I see uh, <laughs> he had a relationship with Puff. He's been giving his opinion on a lot of different things. We're not here to dig too deep in into what, uh, you know, his viewpoints or shed any light on what he got going on. Did you ever build a rapport with him? Did you know him? Yeah, 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 yeah. Gene was, when we used to run around, you know, Gene was the legal gun in the crew, right? <laughs> yeah. He okay. was a um, parole officer. Right. Um, and, you know, the streets was, streets was wild. Like, this, you know, this is, this is that time. This is, um, you know, this is, is, is Supreme Team and, and same gang. And, you know, it's, it's, it's that time. New York. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. York. And, it's, uh, and, and the crazy thing is the streets was wild. But the environment we was in wasn't wild unless some dummy didn't know who they was moving around. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you know, all those guys, I don't want to get in the name of names, would come to the events that we was at to be cool, to get away from their street life and how they had to handle their business. And then you always got, like, one bird head that that ain't never been nowhere. And... You know, oh, okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's on and, and it's not sexy. Right. Okay, that's dope, man. You had a relationship with Biggie? Of course, man. That was my guy, man. I love Biggie, man. I, um, man, that's that's a tough one. So the Thursday before he got murdered, wow. we were at, um, I forget this, Jerry's Deli in Los Angeles near the Beverly Center. I had just landed. I was sitting there eating. And uh, Uncle Paulie, it's crazy, you know, because we all on this is this is East Coast West Coast beef on steroids, right? Right. So we all on ten, right? So me and my boys, we in this restaurant with like about five six girls. There's nobody really there. So all blacked out. Ironically, the suburban he got killed in just pulled up in front, like real slow. And then a dude got out with black shades, just started, you know, he's got these big glass windows. Dude got out with black shades and walked by, and then he came in like there's an exit door that like really nobody uses, like the front door is here, and came up. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking, I'm like, oh it's man, over. like yeah, like we yeah, it's over. like pretty much because we ain't, ain't had nothing but luggage, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So come walking up, you know, back then I used to wear glasses, so he start walking up the the aisleway, and as he got closer. He put his hands up. He's like, yo, lap, man, what's up, man? You ain't see me at the window? I was looking. You know, and I'm thinking, like, niggas is peeping us out. But it was Uncle Paulie. And he walked up, and he's like, yo, your man want to talk to you, man, in the car. So I walk out Jerry's, and uh, it's so crazy, man, because this is the exact seat that Biggie was sitting in when he got killed. And uh, he had the cane. You know, a lot of cats don't know that, like, Biggie spent months at Burke's Rehab in White Plains after he got in that car accident with Lil C's. Um, so, so I'm talking to him, 
he got one leg out the door, got the cane, and we talking. And the reason we was talking is because <clears throat> Biggie came to me to do Life After Death album release parties. So I had booked maybe about seven of those parties. We were selling them to promoters at 30000 a WAP wherever he had a promo date. So, <clears throat> you know, the label's go flying him in. He's doing his promo, whatever, with the radio station. He gets a little bit of bread there. But me and him was getting 30000 for these album release parties, right? So I sold like seven of them. So he was sitting in a chair at that time. I mean, we, it was going to be about 45 of them. But I had sold seven so far. And uh, he was sitting in a chair. You know, and me just being the business dude, I just came over to him. I'm like, yo, what's up? Man? He's like, yo, lad, what's good? I'm like, yeah, I see you out here. He's like, yeah, I'm out here. You know, and it was kind of ironic <clears throat> because I was also on the set of the Hypnotized video. Mm -hmm. and, and a little gang, you know, not nothing really jumped off, but, like, you know, there was some cats around and a dice game happened and things got a little heated, you know what I'm saying? And this was, you know, this was the in and out L.A. type of thing. This wasn't like a, yeah. you know, it wasn't like he was known that he was there. It was kind of came in, shot his video, did what he had to do. Got out of there. Yeah, got out of there. And, um, you know, so when I'm seeing him, you know, I'm, I'm, on one end of it I'm happy because I know what he's trying to do, which is squash the bullshit. But then on the other end, I'm kind of a little nervous, you know, uh, about the situation. So immediately I start talking to him about business. I'm like, yo, I sold 70 joints. You know what I'm saying? I got, you know, 210 for you, you know, that, we, you know, we could break it up and do whatever later. But I'm telling you, I got this in the bank. And he's like, yo, lad, don't worry, man. I, I, I trust you, man. You know, how you doing? And he just really wanted to talk about, like, kind of me and us. Yeah. He ain't want to deal with the business and none of that. You know, not always hindsight is twenty twenty in your mind. You're like, damn, you yeah. know, that's kind of like goodbye. Yeah. You know, but um, we sat out there talking for a minute. And it was kind of weird because as we were sitting there talking, this dude, I ain't going to get no names, came walking around the corner and came, like, you know, like kind of walked up to us. And he knew me. He's like, yo, lad, what's up? And he's like, yo, what's up? And he's like, yo, yo, big, hey, what's up? Good to see you. And then moved on. You know, and obviously after all this dumb shit happens, you realize that motherfucker was checking your perimeter. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? But, um, and then that was the last time, ironically, that was the last time I spoke to him. But then him and Puff came to my party at the Wilshire Automobile Museum. Like, I threw that party the night he got killed. Where's that? That's in L.A.? Yeah. Vegas? Or where, yeah. where is that? In, in L.A. That's the, the party. So it was a vibe party. I used to be the African-American agency of record on ta of Tango Ray. And uh, me and Kadada Jones threw that party with Vibe after the Soul Train Awards at the Automobile Museum. And it was star-studded. It was a dope-ass party. And uh, everybody was there. It was crazy. You know, it, 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 and it was weird, right? Because, again, how I was raised around here, you know, you could spot the trouble. You could see the drama when it's coming, whatever. So I wasn't really, I was cool that we throwing a party, whatever. But I didn't have my guard down like everybody else. You know what I'm saying? And, I, and a lot of people in there, I don't think, had their guard down. And the crazy thing, what I remember, and, I, and I pro, I've never said this in the interview, I was, um, I was on the side of the dance floor, and my DJ was DJ Ace. And they had this long, they had a like a, a Volkswagen Beetle, but it was like a limousine. It was super stretched out. So it was on a, we put that in front of the DJ booth. So you couldn't see the records or whatever. Right. And my host was Ed Lover, 
and DJ Ace was the DJ. So I'm on this side of the other side of the spot. And then all of a sudden, these Ace goes into a New York set. And then Ed's like, New York is in. And they start wilding. And I run across the dance floor, you know, and, and Ed's my boy. Ed, Ed put me on in a lot of ways. And I run across the dance floor, and I never talked to him foul. Aggressive. But that yeah. put the fear of God in me. Absolutely. And I was like, yo, what no, the fuck are y'all doing? Like, I was straight like that on him. Him and Ace, like, yo, what the fuck? And they surprised because I don't communicate to him like that. Like, yo, what the fuck are y'all doing? Nigga, like, we can't play these type of games. Like, yo, chill. And Kenny Burns was standing there. He's like, yo, lad, chill, chill. And I'm like, no, fuck that. These niggas crazy. Like, they think it's all good. This is the most treacherous place in America, in America. if it goes down. Right. I don't care. I've never seen no black people in my life as wild as an LA gang member in my life. Ever, never, ever. I said and I'm like, like that. and I'm like, yo, like, yo, you know, so we kind of had that moment. They chilled out and the party went on. And it and it's so crazy because like when you look at it, you know, nobody knew it was Biggie Sendoff. But it was probably one of the greatest, most star-studded events I ever did. I'm sure. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. talking like, like. From Russell to Grand Hill to Wesley Snipes to every artist you could think of in the world was there that was black to um, uh, uh, Quincy Jones. Fam, I never threw a party Quincy Jones was at. Tough, yeah. So you know what I'm saying? So like to have that high, to go to that low, it, 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 was, it was a horrible, horrible moment, man. And I was there for like all of that. But, but, but back to Gene, Gene held us down, man. He he was there for us through a lot. So I could understand his feelings, you know, for Puff. I don't agree with how he's going after it yeah. because I think I think um revenge is, you know, that's God's land, right? Like you Absolutely. like God yeah. is supposed to handle that yeah. for you. You know, you're supposed to kind of walk to the side for that. But but I do get it, you know, because, you know, Puff definitely Changed um, in a crazy way, and, um, and 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 Gene could feel some kind of way, you know, like your man, like your man that you helped get to a position. I mean, obviously nobody's in his head, nobody's telling Puff what to do and whatever, you know. And not to say that he he owes a lot of people, but he owes a lot of people. Yeah. But there, yeah. but there's certain cats that holds you down. For sure, yeah. That like you know, there's nobody in the United States that's protected my life or held me down that I'm not still cool with right. and have a great relationship yeah. with or can call me if they mortgage is twisted or can, you know, if they kid wants to get into a black college that ain't going to call me and I ain't going to go to extra. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For sure. And you, but with that, sometimes a person could do that. I'm not defending. I'm not Johnny Cochran, rest right. in peace. I'm not nobody's lawyer. Sometimes you could, that one no, I'll make a person forget every time you say yes. It would be that, too. It would be two sides to the point. Mm, I'm not saying I mean, that's I, the case, but I know when you're in a certain position, you know, and you're turning a, a lot of people's lights on and people reaching for you nonstop, you know, you need that time sometimes to yourself or to your family, so you might not be able to take care. Well, I don't say you got to take Not take care, but you might say you might not want to be able to do something or you might want to say no. And well, here's where it gets tricky, right? Because that whole word, word mogul, like when you become a mogul, when you get into that mogul space, 
there's budgets coming at you from everywhere. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, record labels, sponsors, uh, business partners, new businesses you create, you know, they have to, you know, spend a certain amount of money a year, just hand it to the government. I mean, you know, there's, and my thing is when you're dealing with so many of those different businesses, you can find a lane for your man okay. to get a check, yeah. right? Even if yeah. he's sitting at the desk and he might've saved your life five times, like what is yeah. your life worth, right? Yeah. So he should be able to sit at a desk and make, Quarter million dollars a year, but it ain't necessarily coming out of your pocket. Right. But he should be taken care of. I hear you. you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Or people that helped you in the early stage. You know, everybody has an opportunity to turn back and, and help some cats. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But to me, you know, definitely give to the United Negro College Fund and give to the. the but what about this nigga over here that saved your life five times? Yeah. yeah you sure. know, you ain't got to give it to him, but set up an mean. infrastructure so right. he could be all right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. not have to live off Social Security or a pension. I hear you. You know, I so, you. you know, no jabs, yeah, no, you know, no, I get no, it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I know you. you're trying to be a big podcaster, so you're trying to protect I'm motherfuckers' keeping, I wasn't images. there, like, I, so you know I can't saying? really protect, I wasn't there. So I, this just your side, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I can't just, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting Chris Latimer's take on what happened in his story. Like, you know, when you include yeah, other yeah. people in the story, it's their side, it's your side. So I'm just standing right here smack in the middle. Well, the, really. the great thing is, is that, you know, if yeah. if you can see... You know, to, to me, I'm a big spirit guy, right? So, you know, the reason I'm on this podcast with you is because I've seen you trying to do something great. Of course. And 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 I know your past and I know your history. And, you know, and obviously me and Rick, you know, I'm news. all in to make sure you're all right. Definitely. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate it. Right? That. You didn't call me for an interview. I yeah, called no, you. No, for right? sure. Because yeah, I've seen yeah. what you was doing. I want to help you. And Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So I know my spirit is clean. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know how I move. I know the love that I get wherever I'm at, you know, and it come and and the real the real truth seekers of of where you at spiritually is the kids, mm. right? Yeah. When the kids come up to you or hug your leg or whatever, Energy. they don't know who you was and what you did or whatever. But those are like, you know, that's like God's sign off. For sure. You know, a little yeah. kid just come and hold on to your leg and love. like have you know give you some love. Yeah. You know, your spirit is right. Sure. You know, and you could look at people's spirits, you know, people that are rich and people that aren't rich and people that are bad people out there in the street. And you could look at how they move and, you know, you could see that how their spirit reflects, you know, kind of where they're at in this point in their life. Yeah. You know. Some point. BMF. Big party. Oh. The BMF show. Yeah, you crazy. BMF, uh, you got to sound bite the hell out this this joint right here. What 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 <laughs> role did Chris Latimer play in that particular party in the in, in the Stars Fifty Cent BMF series Free Meats? Oh, the documentary, the documentary. The documentary. All right, so it was a big party. So it's crazy. The uh, in the documentary, you know, they said that. Um, Meets rented an airplane and brought all these people down to Cancun and, you know, and he threw this, these parties and, you know, and it was kind of crazy, right? Because, you know, I know cats got to tell a story and uh, I got super love for, for Meech um, and, and not on no scary stuff just because he's a, he's a good, he's a good dude, man. You know what I'm saying? And I don't judge. <clears throat> so... Ironically, that plane was rented by me. 
So we had a party plane leaving out of Atlanta, and we sold a, you know, we sold about one third, maybe one half of the tickets for the plane, and then it kind of slowed up a little bit, and then about three weeks out before the trip, my partner at the time um, was um, Alex Gideon, um, AG Entertainment Atlanta. Okay. So he hits me. He's like, "Yo." Meech wants to buy out the plane. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, Meech wants to buy out the plane. I'm like, so what are we supposed to do to these people? I already bought their tickets. He's like, yo, just, just, just give them their money back. I'm like, huh? How are you supposed to call? So what ended up happening is we called everybody and told them that, you know, this is what was happening. So some people bowed out, right, because they knew the level of the turn up was going to be. And then... Other people was excited and they stayed on the plane. So when they showed in the documentary, meets on the plane and he had everybody in the plane, that was actually the plane that I rented from Delta wow. to come down to Mexico. Um, and then when he got down to Mexico, we had this club called The City that we was doing. Now, I can't front. He did something I ain't never seen nobody do in my life, you know, but it was still our party that he was at. Um, it wasn't a BMF party. It was BMF. It was a BMF takeover of our party. And the reason I call it a takeover is because he did something I never seen nobody do in my life. He paid us cash for 75 tables in the club. And each table had, I think it was a bottle of Cristal, two bottles of Hennessy. And I forget the vodka at the time. I think it might have been Belvedere on 75 tables that he paid cash. Yeah, hear so, about that kind of so so when you when you see the party and it looked yeah. like it's a BMF, it was a BMF takeover, yeah. but that's just how how Meach rolled. He made if you knew how to give if you knew how to make the event right with the the women, the right guys, respectfulness, and just a good time, he would come in and just change the whole economy of your party. That was your party he was at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Cancun. It was Cancun All Star Fiesta. He was at, at the joint the last year, 2004. Damn. That's when all that video was, you know, Mariah Carey yeah. was at that party. The brat, Carl Thomas, Fat Joe. That was crazy joint. Yeah. yeah. At some point, you get into fashion yourself. You got a fashion yeah. background. We'll get into right. that as far as what, what, uh, what made you pivot into fashion. What's your brand called, first of all? What's your, what, cause you had a few different names. Yeah, well, so. What you got going on? How, how I rocked in the, fa- in the fashion side was, it was so crazy cause it goes back to the story I told you earlier about um, 91 in December when uh, Peter Gation took my $10,000. When he took, literally when he took my $10,000, I was, I called him on the phone in 90 Manhattan Avenue. Cause I don't even know if you know I lived in 90 Manhattan yeah, yeah, Avenue for, for a year and a half I or something. Knew that. Yeah. So he called me in 90 Manhattan Avenue and and told me that he couldn't do the night on January 1st and the deposit was non-refundable. Right? Excuse me? Right, yeah. right, right. But this is Peter Gation. This is a whole nother type of yeah. yeah, you ain't you ain't walking in there. No, 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 no. Yeah, you ain't walking yeah. in there with nobody. Yeah. You can yeah. bring all the United Forces of all the hard black motherfuckers all over the world, <laughs> terrorism, and ain't man. nothing happen. You know, this is a white man with an eye patch. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so in that in that moment, like maybe a couple of weeks later, now my money is twisted, right? So I get in a big argument in 90 Manhattan, 
and I leave um, the apartment to never come back. So then I meet a, another girl um, that lives in Brooklyn. So I go live with her and I'm, I'm twisted. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm twisted. I'm getting uh, unemployment checks and I'm throwing parties trying to get my joint back up because that 10,000 and that plant, I paid the DJs, the flies was already out. Bill Janesta. The radio, it was dead. You know, I'm twisted. So, um, so my girlfriend at the time that I was living with, um, she worked for Ralph McDaniels in, uh, in the VidKid at a, their video company called Classic Concepts. And she came home one day and said, hey, babe, you know, they was doing this video for Boys the Men, and they had these sweatsuits, um, but Boys the Men ain't wear them, you know, so here's the, you know, here's the, I bought you some home. So I opened up the box, and the first thing I pulled out, I think it might have been a Malcolm X college hoodie. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Was it in the pants? And they were all thick. And then I pulled out a Howard one. And a big misconception is people think that I owned this company back in um, in 92, but I actually started working for them in 92. The company is called African American College Alliance. It was actually white owned. And um, I went to Howard for an event. We had a big uh, concert down there for a music fest. And I went and met with the white dude, Mark Van Grack, that owned it. And a cool, cool ass dude owned sneaker stores called Snyder's in DC. And uh, he's like, I need somebody to promote my product. So I was like, oh, all right. You know, um, yeah, I could do it, whatever. And before I got down there, I kind of jumped over the story. Before I got down there, he had called my girl at the time at the office. He didn't know she was my girl and was like, you know, what happened? Did boys, the men wear the product? And she was like, no. And he was like, oh, my God, I need somebody to promote my goods. Do you know somebody? And she was like, well, let me look around. And then she called me and she's like, babe, the dude that send them hoodies you like needs somebody to promote the stuff. And I was like, yo, tell him that you know somebody, but he's super busy right now. Meanwhile, I'm getting unemployment checks, eating pizza every day. So he's real busy right now. But if he got time, you know, he tried to see if he could work it out for you. And I just happened to be going to D.C., so my girl set up the meeting. And when I walked in the office, you know, we went back and forth. I happened to have one of my security dudes with me who was like a super big steroid black dude. And he's like, we in the office with this, you know, Mark's over there. I'm sitting here on the other side of his desk. And my man, Mill, who's a pastor now, he got ants in the pants. So he's one of them, you know, steroid dudes. So he's walking back and forth behind me. It looks crazy, man. <laughs> So uh, long story short, he said, you know, we want, I want you to do promotions for me. I'll give you 35000 And I was like, all right. And he was like, and I'll pick up some of your expenses. And I was like, all right. And he was like, are we done? And I was like, nah. And he's like, why aren't we done? I was like, you want me to get your clothes on all these artists and promote your clothes, but I need to move around like a, move, move, I mean, a music exec. So he's like, what's that mean? I was like, I need at least a $10,000 a month budget to move around and do what I need to do, buy people dinners, video directors, send them bottles and stuff while we out. And he was like, he was like, $10,000? I was like, man, if I'm going to move in, these, in this lane with these music industry people, I got to have an expense account like them. And he reached across the table and gave me his Amex. And back then, you could use anybody's Amex. Like, it had his name on it, Mark Van Grack. I know I don't look like Mark Van Grack. Yeah. And I was using his Amex for about a year yeah. until he got me my own corporate corporate card. So then from that moment, 
you know, we I was the marketing director without a marketing budget, so I had to figure it out. So I knew so many celebrities and artists because I would pay them to be at my parties that I just started, I was like, all right, well, this is what it is. We're going to start dressing them. Um, so it was a culmination of a lot of things. Like my first big placement that put me on the Mac was Def Comedy Jam. Um, one of my boys, Bob something, that called me. He's like, yo, lad, we're doing this Def Comedy Jam joint. Come down. It's the first year. Da, 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 da. I'm doing it with Russell. And da, da, da. I'm like, all right. And now he's like, you know, lad, but bring your clothes, man. I'm going to give you access to everybody. So I came down with my stuff, and ironically, Martin, being from D.C., was the first celebrity I rolled up on. So when I rolled up on him, he was like, yo, I'm the host. You can't dress nobody else. So he literally stopped me. But he right. said, I'm going to wear every sweatsuit you got in this box. So if you look at the end of Def Comedy Jam, when him and Ru well, first when he came out, then Russell came out with him, they all wearing AACA. And he's wearing the black college joints when he introduced the comedians. And it was, you know, and then I dressed Capri. He was the DJ. And so it was between that Def Comedy Jam movement and then Yo! MTV used to film, um, God bless the dead, Ted, Ted Demi, used to film down on 42nd Street. And they used to film on Tuesdays. So I'd get there early in the morning on Tuesdays with a bunch of different clothes. And whatever artists came, most of them was from out of town, you know, I'd be like, yo, oh, that's what you're wearing? Like, yo, you need this New York swag. And I'd dress, you know, change them and dress them right there. And they go out on your MTV raps. And if you look at the old your MTV episodes, you'll see Ed Lovenham was always wearing the black colleges. That's tough. You know, and then it just, and then, so it was, it was Def Comedy Jam, your MTV. And then my first huge placement was Mary J. Blige, Real Love Video. Mm -hmm. All the girls are dancing in a Malcolm X college hoodie that I dressed them in. That's my, that's my jam. So. so yeah, so it was all like it was like that big moment, and I blew the clothing line up. Uh, then it was mismanaged, and about like '97, it started going down. And then I I partnered with three other brothers, and we raised some money and went and bought the line. And then they kind of they kind of was a part of the original, but there's also a part of the mismanagement. Right. So when we bought it again, they mismanaged again. Same, yeah. And then I just kind of, by that time I was on fire. And then in 2015, I was approached by the person that had the brand at the time. And um, they said that I want to be a partner. And uh, we've tried to put a deal together, but it was whack. You know, they did some whack stuff. So I went to the left and then I came back and I was like, I just like, I want to buy it outright. And, you know, we went back and forth and, uh, and I got the contract Thanksgiving 2015. It came across the facts in the house. And uh, they, it, I appreciate you. And same, they, Rump, same company, same, yeah. same company this whole time? The no, same no, 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 switched 30 oh, different so, okay. hands. Yeah, yeah, okay. but, so, but by this time, so the crazy thing is that when they sent the contract, it was on some tricky Ricky, you know, like they sent the contract and the number to purchase it was a number. So, they wanted me to have the money wired to them by 12 noon that Monday. So this, the facts came on Thanksgiving. So it's kind of like an opportunity, but not really opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then they called me at one o'clock and they were like, so I guess we're not gonna do this deal. So, you know, you should come back and we should reevaluate the partnership. And I'm like, no, 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 I signed the contract and sent it back to you. He's like, yeah, we got that. I was like, oh yeah, I sent the wire at 10 o'clock. You didn't even know I sent it. 
I sent the wire for the full journey, but he already signed a contract as a done deal. We're done. We ain't gonna talk yeah, about he couldn't do nothing. Right. Yeah. But he thought he got me. He was yeah. trying to come back on the back end and be like, hey, maybe we should explore this partnership again and try to figure out how to do it. And then from that point, I just, you know, kept it moving. And now I own a company 100%. Ain't nobody in the back room. Ain't no partner that don't look like us. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I noticed, the material of your, yeah. of your garments, man. Not typical material. It's not, not, I don't, I haven't seen, you know, a garment like that at Macy's, man. Right. What's the secret, man? Where's the factory at? Man? Oh, really? It's like you really want the factory chocolate factory. Where's the, where's the secret factory at? So the first secret is, is, is quality, right? That's just what I'm about. Even when we had Team 914 back in the day, like cats know our t-shirts, they still got them. That. They lasted for 15 years. Um, so I'm big on quality. And the product was already great quality back in the day. Um, so it's crazy. Like a thing happened at the same time, right? Like Kanye and those cats started blowing up and they started making what you call disposable merchandise. So what disposable merchandise is, is when you come to a concert and you buy a hoodie, that's more of a keepsake, not enough for you to wear every day. So if you wear it every day and wash it two or three times, it shrinks up, sleeves start falling off. Oh. It's disposable yeah. merchandise, right? The concept is if my tour comes through your city this time and I sell you a $300 hoodie, by the next time I come through, that's going to be gone and you come to buy another one. So in the midst of disposable garments and disposable merch, I came with quality. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. So when people touch my goods and my garments, you just feel at a whole nother level. So to answer the first question, I manufacture in China and Nantong. Um, I bring it in the country myself. You know, I have a warehouse in, uh, in Los Angeles. Actually, and the uh, city of industry, which is about 50 miles outside of Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, man, match it, manufacture the goods. All of my hoodies, my t-shirts, everything are made from cotton to finished product. Is this, is this, is this some of it right here? Yeah. So it's not, it's not like, I don't go buy blanks. Yeah. Even though I'm not mad, when you start in a clothing line, you gotta buy blanks. No, I start from cotton and it's woven in the fabric. And then it's made into these shirts and the seams and the stitching is cut in and it put together. And it's like, you know, I, I hold my product up against anybody. It's homemade. It's not processed. Way. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not no. You every know, piece of every single garment is specifically. Every single garment is yeah. made from soup to nuts with a speck from and every fabric is woven. That's tough. Yeah, I'm proud about right? that. You're still active as of today. Where can yeah. the viewers get this? Oh, I only sell it online. It's uh, aacaclothing.com. Um, yeah, I only sell online um, because, you know, retail is kind of is dead. It don't make no sense. Yeah. Right. So back in, let me just kind of explain the kind of the garmento, the garment thing. Right. <clears throat> I'll say with a T-shirt, you go buy a $3 t-shirt, you put your screen print on it, you know, and you sell it on the street for, let's say, $40 if it's hot. You know, $25 you just try and do volume, right? So you go from, let's say, $5 and you can make $25, maybe $40. When you put retail in the middle of that, you make it for $5. They're going to nickel and dime you to buy it from you for $12, and then they're going to sell it for $40. So it's a middleman that's yeah. sticking you up 
tax, basically. Right. Well, yeah, big taxes. Right. Yeah. So I erased the middleman because, listen, my brand is is thirty two years old technically. Right. From ninety one to you know, and I don't need a middleman. I put it up online. People have flashbacks, and all the shows I put the product in Martin Living Single. All these joints is running all crazy. Fresh Prince of Bel Air, they running all crazy in reruns. So it keeps me a continuous oh, yeah, yeah, customer yeah, base, right? right? Yeah. So technically, through a store, I could sell twenty million dollars worth of product and make the same amount of profit that I'll make selling two million dollars myself. That's smart. What does it stand for, by the way? AACA stands for African American College Alliance, and we uh, license historical black colleges. And kind of push the whole black college thing. That's dope. To, to, That's to fire. Youth. That's yeah. fire. That pivots into another question of mine. As far as the hockey jerseys, you know. Oh, oh you've been on your homework game. Yeah, as far as the hockey jerseys, a little birdie told me, you know, you might have something to do with branding that and making that a trend. I wore hockey jerseys for like a, a season. Mm-hmm. And but I remember, you know, I'm a student of hip hop watching the videos. And uh, the Nellies, the Jar, everybody in the, the Fabulous, all these guys in the early 2000s popped out with these hockey jerseys. And, you know, all I knew about at that time was the Wayne Gretzky game on Nintendo 64. So, wow. you know, who are the hockey jerseys, man? What part so, did Chris Latimer play in the hockey jersey? So, did you see that Jordan movie? The um, Yeah, the Jordan, the sneaker movie with... Um, like with Mike? That... No, nah, it's a, I forget what the, the, I don't know if it was on Netflix, was it? Oh, no, no, no. Where they talked about Jordan, like the sneaker, how the sneaker was first made. Did you see that movie? Nah. Nah? Nope. Well, in that movie, there's a dude named Rob Strauss and a guy named Peter Moore. So Rob Strauss is like the marketing dude, right? And then Peter Moore is the guy that actually designed the Nike shoe. So when I was doing my thing, Def Comedy Jam and, uh, and your own TV raps and all the rest of that, Pete... Um, Rob Strausser reached out to a friend of mine and was like, who the hell is this kid that's figured out how to get product on MTV for two hours a day without paying anything? I got to meet this guy. So this is the number two under Phil Knight at Nike, right? And this is when the Jordan kind of just started blowing up. So um, he, he found me at a at the McCormick Center in Chicago at a clothing convention. And, you know, you see this guy, he's like a god in, in the game. And I go up on him on my normal, like, man, Mr. Strauss is a player. And he stops me. And he was like, are you Chris Latimer? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, this thing that you're doing is phenomenal. Like, I, can you explain it to me? So I talked to him for maybe about 20 minutes, you know, kind of tell him kind of what I'm doing and whatever. And and ironically, he said to me, he was like, this would never work at Nike because, and it's so weird, like where we're at now, this would never work at Nike because artists are too vulnerable. I mean, they make the brand too vulnerable. So we have to hedge our bet behind the NBA, which is already an infrastructure to yeah. keep the athletes and control, and then, you know, that's how we, so it never worked, but my God, if it ever, this is what this, you know, God bless the dead, he passed away. He's a very powerful man. So while I'm walking around that show in Chicago, he's with me. So now I go from 
the black kid with this idea, showing him all these pictures, trying to get ten to $20,000 from him a month to, like, the most powerful man in footwear that revolutionized the game, walking with me, booth to booth. Now the conversations are different. People asking for my cards. And he knew what he was doing, That's but he was just giving me, you know, an assist. So we stepped into a CCM hockey jersey booth. Because earlier in the conversation, I told him, I was like, I got this vision. Like, I'm doing all these brands, Helly Hansen and everything. But I kind of feel like they're going to die, you know. And plus, by now, we were so on fire with the product placement and videos that MTV started blurring the logos. So that was kind of messing up my money. Because now I can't go to a client and be like, yo, I'm going to get you on MTV for two hours because they started blurring the logos because we was killing it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I know Dabba Dan tells the story of how he made MTV blur the logos. But if you really follow the storyline and follow the videos, you'll see what it leads to. You know, kind of like my moment in 93, 94. I mean, I love that, but the truth is the truth, you know. Um, So... I told Rob Strauss early in the conversation that, like, you know, I, you know, we wear stuff baggy, whatever, whatever, and I know that MTV won't blur sports logos because they're trying to get in bed with the sports, uh, the sports organizations, because they had like the MTV Rock and Jock and all this other stuff. They was trying to figure out how to get them other checks because they kind of did what they already could do in the music business or whatever. So he's like, you know, he listened. So we were walking by CCM, and then he detoured in. And I'm still walking. He's like, Chris. So we go over, and we're standing in the booth, and he's like, um, they're all around. Oh, my God. You know. <laughs> and he's like, I want you to listen to this kid. Yeah. And um, I sat there, and I told him kind of what my concept was. Right. And, uh, you know, they still looked at me like I had 18 heads, because back then all the hockey jerseys were made in Canada. At CCM. Okay. So, but because I walked in there with Rob Strausser, I was able to get on a call. And then I had another client, American Needle, that uh, makes baseball hats. Actually, they made my hats. Um, they had they were had a license from the hockey jersey from CCM and a couple other brands. So they, they co-signed on me. So I made a phone call. We were on this conference call, and I'm like, yo, you know, da-da-da-da. they don't really understand it. I'm like, send me five jerseys. And they're like, all right, we'll send you five jerseys. And it's crazy. When they send me the five jerseys, I was like, I'll get back to you in like a month. And what happened in that one-month period with the hockey jerseys is I made, I took one hockey jersey. There used to be a spot called Crosby's in the garden. And they used to sell all the sports stuff. But you could also put your name on the back of your jersey, like look like the official sports joints, Tackle 12. So I went in there with a bunch of jerseys. I got one jersey and I put flavor on the back of it because that was the fictitious name of the magazine that Latifah owned on Living Single. Mm. And it was New Jersey Devils, you know, jersey and Latifah reps jersey all the time. So I made that jersey. Then I made two other jerseys. Now, this one is the most famous of all the jerseys I made on that day. I put, I took a, a Pittsburgh Penguin jersey, and I put gin and juice on the back of it. And then the next jersey I made was a Springfield Indians jersey, and it, they were like a American Hockey League team, and I put uh, 
doggy dog on the back of that one. And then I had another Jersey Devils hockey jersey. I put Fife on the back of that one. And I forget what the last one was. But I knew I had video shoots for all of those. And then I knew they was filming Living Single. So in that one week, I did the Gin and Juice video. Snoop wore both jerseys. In the beginning, when he's on the bike, yeah, he got on. I made that jersey he's wearing. And then in the and when he's in the um, joint, he says nobody chipped in, and he got on a it's an Indian jersey. I made oh, that made yeah. that joint for him. Then um, Queen Latifah wore the joint on Living Single. They knew I was trying to get the clients, so they took pictures on the set and sent them to me. Which is ironic because full circle, about a month ago, the girl that plays the daughter of Queen Latifah wore my hoodie and the equalizer. So that came back full circle from, oh, you know, that's yeah, our relationship. That's a, yeah, from, yeah it's still, still a great yeah. relationship. And then Fife wore the Fife jersey and Oh My God, you know, the one with him and Tippett's chasing the truck. Yeah. And he got in that New Jersey Devils. For sure. I you made that I made, Yeah, I made that for him too. So I, I sent them... Uh, the video reels and the pitches, and then I guess all the calls they started getting from the Jersey thing, I get on my next call with them, there's 20 people in the room. And I just kind of, I actually probably negotiated the greatest deal, one of the greatest deals in my life. Um, I negotiated $20,000 a month, a two-year deal. They pay for all my expenses, I get unlimited hockey jerseys, all I want. Um, and then I negotiated a black sales force for non-traditional retail stores at a 10% commission. So technically, they were selling jerseys in just, you know, athletic places and hockey jerseys. And, to expand it. Right. So I'm like, all right, I'm about to make a whole urban trend happen. So... We're going to sell a Dr. J's and Jimmy Jazz and S&B's and up against the wall and all the big places. Yeah. Um, but, of course, they did some shady backdoor, sh you know. Like, my, my guys were bringing in orders. They had the guys in the warehouse saying that the product was sold out so the orders wouldn't get fulfilled. Then they'd go back behind my guys and resell them in again because the trend oh, was so wow. hot. And then, of course, the dirty yeah. game. I'm, oh, like, I'm yeah, getting no. from your story. Like, I'm. It's, it sounds like you had some good times in this game and some bad times. Yeah, it's, man. It's I mean, you know, it's, it's it's a it's 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 you know it's a combination of uh, capitalism and racism. Yeah, I got to get you on um, hip hop vendetta. Def Jam Vendetta, you remember the out? You probably don't remember the video what, game. What, the video game? The one was, was Fat Joe pitching the band? It, 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 the video game, all the celebrity guys, and you could pick them and they fight each other. Right. Fat Joe gotta get all y'all up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got to get all y'all, you know, 90s yeah. hip-hop phenomenons on there. But yeah, man, definitely, like, you That's asked, tough. we started, like, we, we, I started that hockey jersey trend and made it an uh, international, like, craze and... Yeah, and then that spurred a lot of things. That spurred the whole Mitchell and Ness jersey movement and the mm. football jersey movement of the late uh, 90s and 2000 and just on and on and on. Right now, um, shout out to EYL. They got the game popping tonight on Dykeman. By the time this come out, that game will be over. But, you know, New York, a big, our coach is big on street ball. Mm. Big, you know, we got, for me, Ferris Avenue. Well, it started Shout out to center. Ferris. 
you know, community center. Man, you always got to, you always I got to. But, but it is facts. I, it, it, but, but, but hold on. See, that's where it get tricky at. Because Ferris Avenue Tournament and Greenberg Center were hot at the same time. It's just yeah, before yeah, your yeah, era. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not, you know, I'm like not Rodney here. Abrams and yeah. All, like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, God yeah. bless the dead. Rest like, in peace. Yeah, yeah. And Ice yeah. and, you know, it was, yeah. it was a whole Batman and it was a, it was a whole movement. I was just, you know, listening yeah, yeah, to no, no, I, I, I always got to start with home first. So Community Center, Ferris, Rucker Park, Dykeman, um, was it West Forth? Um, you got Riverside, it's all kind of courts. Hoops in the Sun. Hoops in the Sun, yes. Gersh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Team 914. Uh, yeah, man. I remember seeing Chris Latimer out there. Yeah, with the big shirt with the, with the highway symbol that said 914. Yeah, With yeah. the team down at Rucker. Um, how'd you get into that? It seemed like you just want a piece in any and everything. When it comes to promotions. Nah, not a piece of everything. That was actually, actually, that was more of a, a spirit movement for the community for me. Okay. I mean, obviously, it gets into politics and who's doing what and who's doing whatever. Um, you know, because eventually, I know everybody in the city. I'm the big promoter, whatever, whatever. Of so sometimes, you know, it's, if, if, a, if a person, if you just start doing business with a person and they ain't really like your man, man, and they driving through the Bronx and they feeling good about their team, and a dude run, walks up on and be like, yo, oh, you down with 914? Yo, that's Chris Latimer's team. Yeah. Eventually, the energy gets funny. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Of course. Um, but that whole 914 movement started from um, from Tory Thomas. Shout out to Tory. Um, yeah, shout out to Tory. So Tory. I knew, you know, Tory was our guy. He was like our basketball dude. And um, and he had he was playing in other tournaments. You know, and, and I love Tory. I went to his college graduation at Holy Cross. You know, yeah. I he, I was proud. You know, he's good, good kid, good For dude. Sure. For sure. So, you know, I'm going, yo, lad, what? oh, yo, I got a game of hoops in the sun. So I go out to watch him play, and he playing for Team 914. And I'm like, what's this? You know, I didn't know. It just so happened at the same time, the Rucker was dying because Mousy, the famous coach, started Tri-State on 145th and Lennox. So Rucker was dying because they was pulling players from each other, and and Rucker was dying. And at that time, Greg Marius, God bless his dead, was running Rucker. So he asked me to help him. So I said, yo, I'm going to help you. You know, this is what I need. And then one of the things was on that list was I want a team from my hood to play in a Rucker tournament, and I want them to get the respect of everybody else. And, you know... I'm not paying you an entry fee because I'm working on trying to get you up to the next level. Right. And he was like, all right, cool. So then I went to Tory and I was like, yo, who are these cats that got the Team 914 thing out of New Rochelle? And he was like, oh, it's K-Born and Sean. So I went out, you know, um, I went out and I met with them and I told them what I wanted to do. And, you know, back then, well, still now, you know, streetball, you know, you got to have a little budget. If you want to really rock a tournament, okay. unless you got cats, that's your family. You know what right. I'm saying? Or you're a high school coach, and these kids have been playing together for 20 years, and now you're calling in a favor. So I told them, you know, I'll pay key players, and and we'll do our thing. And I told them, you know, like I'm about to pour gasoline on this thing. It's about to go somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, they was two great coaches. They had great eyes for talent. 
And uh, and we just went and just kind of took over New York City street ball for like three years, man. Who's like on that team? That roster. Oh, gosh. Um, that roster. We had Aaron, the Aaron problem. problem. New Rochelle, stand up. We had um, Jomo. I seen Jomo Mount yesterday Vernon. at the tournament. Shout out to Jomo. Um, Tori, of course. White Plains. Um, what's big man at? Jeff of McDermott. Jeff like McDermott, right? The Beast. Kurt. Kurt. Come on, Kurt, Kurt Williams. Yes, Shout Kurt. Out to Kurt. Um, Legend. Legend. Um, damn, we had a kid from Yonkers. I forget his name. Oh, he's gonna kill me too when he sees. Was it this. Dustin? Y'all get Dustin? Was it? Oh. Nah, nah, nah. He, he's Lester? he's an older cat. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, our our roster was was yeah, was okay. crazy. Like, um, and we just went down there and we put in work, and we had interchangeable pieces from Westchester. But the thing was, we played defense, and whoever was hot was hot, and they fed them, and we just. I mean, we was whoop. I mean, the whole city was mad at yeah, us. Yeah, I was wilding. I remember yeah, that. that. It was, was mad time. at us. We won Dykeman. Yeah, yeah, I won Dykeman. You know what I'm saying? You Kirk know, got his jersey up there. Shout out to EYL for following the league. You yeah, know what I'm <laughs> you know Shout what out man. to EYL. They got a you team know, going yeah, on right now. Yeah, 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 yeah you know yeah, what I'm absolutely. saying? Absolutely. So, so everybody just follow Chris, all right? Nah, that ain't what I'm saying. That ain't what I'm saying <laughs> at all. But you. it's what they supposed to do, of right? Course. Because I think at a time, there was some team... Ironically connected to Cable at Dykeman called the Nine or the Big. I heard something about that. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, I don't um, know too much about it. And then, and then EYL's doing their thing. But see, my thing in street ball, it was all about Westchester. Now I, I knew that we had at least thirty players that can go down there and 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 rock cats to sleep. Yeah, you know. So I don't like this street ball now. It's like cats coming. They go down there with the name from like Westchester. But then there's only two Westchester cats on the team. Like, I don't believe in that. Okay. Like, I want yeah. the core to be right Westchester yeah. from our hood because I know we got enough talent and go down there and, and, and wreck shop. Let's do it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, and we did it. And we we wrecked shop. We killed it down there, man. It was, it was man. Oh, and then the big game, right? I don't know if you know the big game. Uh, so this is a great story. So we indictment, we on fire. Everybody's shooting at us. They like, yo, you know, and and they they met and cats is telling me how tight they are. You know what I'm saying? Cause they in those conversations in Brooklyn, whatever, like, yo, they coming for y'all, you know what I'm saying? But not on that other tip, but on some I basketball trying to come dangerous. at our ass. It's up. You know, so team, so they tried to set us up at Dykeman, you know what I'm saying? Um, and they had there was a marketing team that worked with Nike, and they put Team Nike in the Dykeman, which should never happen. How's your sponsor gonna have a team in the tournament? But you know, Kenny's a businessman. Shout out to Kenny, I love him. You know, so they got Team Nike in there. So what they try to do with Team Nike is put together this team of like all stars from everywhere and just come and kill everybody in Dykeman, right? So we play Team Nike this, I think it was like a Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, so my man's in the meeting on Monday and at, at Nike. And they like, you know, we got something for 914 this week. Now, you, they talking about us in a Nike meet? That's tough. We got something for 914 this weekend, right? I like that. So my man's in the meeting. And uh, they was like, we bring in Kevin Durant. I remember that. To play with Team Nike. So my man left the meeting, and when he got uptown, he called me. He's like, yo, lat, they coming for your neck. I'm like, what's, what's that? He's like, yo, 
KD is playing with Team Nike this week. So, you know, when you hear that, right, easy money sniper, you <laughs> pause for like, that's a that's a 15-minute pause. Like, yeah. what are we going to do? It's over. We about to get murdered. And, um, and then I'm like, hold up. So I call my other man. I'm like, yo, you still training Mike Beasley out in Jersey? He's like, yeah, I got him. He's like, yo, is he free? I was like, yo, is he free next Wednesday, Thursday? He's like, yeah, like whatever you need. But then my man said, I got to play too. So I'm like, no problem. Y'all both come out and play. So we had Beasley like behind, like on the other side of Dykeman, like behind the scoreboard. They bought KD in the front door and the crowd went crazy. <laughs> you know, and everybody feels I heard like about everybody, it. Everybody, you know, because they hate us. Yeah. So everybody in the park's chest is out. We gonna whoop 904's ass tonight. Yeah, you only gonna get out of this one. That's history. So we started the layup line, you know, prop, Jeff, you know, and all of a sudden, full uniform. Like, he ain't even come and change. Like, KD came with the little skinny backpack <laughs> and, like, changed. And Katz was like, oh, yeah. Hey. Beasley just came walk yeah, right in the park. Beasley a little crazy. <laughs> Full green Dykeman jersey uniform on and walked right in the park and got right into the got into the circle for the ball tap. And just got right in the circle. Let's just walked go. right yeah. in. Beasley don't want to talk. Right. So then, so then, you know, the game went on, and they had their battles. But yo, it was it was an incredible game, and we won. We yeah. we gave we gave Kevin Durant team nine one four gave Kevin Durant his first L in street ball as a pro. I believe Jeff dunked on him that game too. He I got he that. caught that too. Caught that yeah. Caught I heard that about too. That. So it was an incredible dunk. game, an incredible moment. Yeah. Um, we won Dykeman that year, and uh, yeah, man, it was. No. You got some legendary moments, man. You, you, you might be a legend, man. I, might I think be. It's safe to say, you know, Chris Lattimore is a legend. Might be, man. I guess. You know what I'm saying? Current state of the culture as we start mm. to wrap things up. And when I say culture, I mean, you know, whatever culture is to you, because everybody's over enough, everybody's culture's definition is different. Right. You know, I mean, just black culture in general, current state, and where you think. You know, the disconnect comes within the generations, like, you know, with the youth and the elders. Or, but first, up, current state of the culture. Um, I, I think the three most destructive things to our culture, to our community, are first crack, second guns, third reality TV. I think um, obviously crack took a lot of the masculinity out of our hood. You know, a lot of the kingpins, a lot of the, you know, the, you yeah. know, because at all levels, whether you some Jack and Jill member or some black in the country club, you know, you you always got that one street cat that you can go to and give you game or hold you down and got your back. And when the crack era came, you know, it destroyed a lot of things at its base. You know, a lot of families and, and people at the base, but it also put all the masculine dudes, either they was getting murked or they ended up going to jail for a very long time. Rico laws, 20, 30 years. When you take that type of masculinity out of the hood, you know, and, and, and listen. I see where you're going with it. Everybody, 
everybody, you know, some people, everybody makes mistakes. But if if you live in this four square mile block, you know, whatever's going to get you to your dreams, that's what you're going to do, right? Um, you know, and, and and a lot of that happens because opportunity is sucked away from you for racism as well. Um, and since crack is so very intentional, as we know, after snowfall and all the rest of that, <laughs> and even before that, um, you know, I think that was the first sledgehammer to the community because it destroyed a lot, a lot of families. It destroyed a lot of trust in our community, right? Like your cousin was fiending so bad. She's, he's, you know, she or he stole your grandmother's television. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was crazy. So that was the first thing. And then, you know, the gun culture, you know, like, and like when I think about White Plains, Greenberg, Ellensworth back in the day, I don't even remember one person getting shot up until I might have been 20 years old. And that was a love triangle. And um, I don't remember dude's name, but he was a real G in the projects. He got shot in 159. And I happened to be out there. He stumbled out the steps, out the joint, and kind of just laid right there in front of 159. And that's the first. Now, cats pulled out guns, and you heard about stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? And and maybe when we was, you know, but that was the beginning of me even having the concept of us shooting each other. Yeah. And then eventually it started getting crazy, right? Because with the crack and the gold chains came the guns, came the stick-up kids. Everybody used to have to have the wild cowboys around them. And then the gunplay got on a whole nother level. Then, sticking the guns, the, when the 14-year-old can have the gun and look past the legacy, the life, um, the work put in from your OG in the community and your elders. Now you got somebody that's has zero knowledge, has zero understanding of how things work, taking over power. And what that did was that gun made the elders back away, right? You start saying, yo, the young boys is crazy. And once your elders back away, then what you got? Like you writing your own book. So when you look at cats like, you know, when you look at cats like, if you ever look at any any f old footage and when they talk about King Vaughn and, you know, everybody always says, what's this little boy doing with this damn gun? And when you get that scared in the hood and these cats that have no experience, don't listen to nobody, has a certain kind of respect for women, you know, follow these kind of traits of hip hop and, you know, the... Everybody gonna win this lottery ticket. They are gonna take it till they make it or whatever. When that cat takes over the community, the community is just in a a super desperate place. I think. I think. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I, I know. You can't. You can't. Yeah, I know. You get older guys who, you know, like I said, you take the gun out of it. They was just doing that with their brute force. They was oppressing and and and. Really, no respect as far as, and I'm not, I'm not picking a side because I'm, I'm younger. But what I'm saying is, sometimes you got the, the OG in the, in the hood who just is more of a dictatorship rather than a. If we all from the community, yes, you know. Yeah, but it, those ain't really the OGs, right? Those are like the old bullies. Like when I say OG, I'm talking about a, I'm talking about a, I'm talking about a, I'm talking about a community. Like a like a dude that's on his hustle and on his whatever that respects the young boys, respects the community. That's different. Is a fly guy at the yeah. same time, and he's moving at a certain level. 
Yeah. Right? I'm not talking about like the bullies. Because like we don't the, get too many like, of those like, though. No, that like, you guys like, you just described. It was like, not I, too I, many. Know, I, I, I probably know the names. I could see oh, yeah. the people that you're thinking about. When we started talking about those legendary fights back in the day, you know, a lot of those was by the bullies. Like they weren't the, those cats that was with the hand in hand. They weren't the smart fly guys that was changing the environment and moving out the hood and and paying for people's college tuition on the lower you ain't know about. So you can't say them. I'm not talking about like so so I so like I get what you're saying, and I get how the bullies can control the community, but it really comes down to the person and who they really see as their OG. Like my OGs had five houses in White Plains with tenants drove, pull up on the block with a Cadillac and ran numbers. Those are my OGs because they they saw the future and they mandatorily made their kids, they made a better life for their kids, Catholic yeah. school, prep school, whatever. To me, that's an OG. Definitely. Right? You, yeah. you take the community, you change it, you, you know, maybe sometimes, in some cases, you don't leave it, but you affect it in a way and there's a set of bylaws of how people move and that's how they move. But when you put a gun in that cat's face, or you chase him out of town, he leaves with his history, his legacy, and his bylaws. Yeah. And now you writing your own ticket. Yeah. And that ticket is crazy. Right. right? Okay. And then as you move into reality television, <clears throat> reality television has killed the black male and female relationship. It is destroyed it. Because what it showed, you know, and I know it's funny, it's 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 like if I can introduce the most harmful drug to you in a social way, where it's for fun, yeah. you know, you ain't gonna realize you're addicted to it and how it's tearing you apart subconsciously. So what reality TV has done is it said this is how relationships are. It put a camera on dysfunctional relationships and said this is what relationships are. You know what I'm saying? And I see it all the time. I see cats in your age bracket. And then, you know, I'm an OG, you know, but I don't date women my age. You know, I'll keep it a buck. You know what I'm saying? I ain't doing nothing crazy. I ain't bumping into nobody because I'm dating a daughter or nothing. But, you know, I just don't date women my age because I'm kind of a different cat. And they kind of matured and caught up in their ways. And they've been through a lot of stuff. And I get it. I'm not really... In that place myself. A little bit. Yeah, to... yeah. I'm, well, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm an old school entrepreneur. I, I live freely and I like to have a good time and Absolutely. move a certain kind of way. And I'm not trying to sit on the couch or, you know, or I'm trying to move. And, um, but when I look at cats in your age group, I see this dynamic where taking me back means love. Yeah. So, so, so y'all, so in your age bracket, Y'all break up four times a week. And then love is how many times I take you back. When the reality of love is we love each other so much, we talk things through, and we never break up until we we break up when we die. We can have a disagreement, but breaking up, and, you know, they've taken all these D and C celebrities and put them in front of cameras and wrote scripts and you don't want to see uh young scrappy and you know shout out to scrappy that's my guy 
You don't want to see Scrappy and his significant other in a peaceful relationship. Don't nobody want to turn in that. You want the drama. So you scripting the drama. You creating the drama. You make it, you know. And these cat, and the, the things that cats don't really cipher is these cats that and these reality TVs that get the biggest checks are the ones that are the most dysfunctional. And now this is how you you view them, this is how you view in relationships. And now, you though. I mean, because this is all about. What I mean, you, listen. You know, I'm talking like I know what you mean. I'm talking about the view of a reality yeah. show yeah. is from a 12 year old girl to a 75 year old woman for sure, and man, yeah. you know, yeah. And I listen, and I, I've had those arguments, which like you cheating on me. I'm like, huh? What are, you, what are you talking about? Like we just came back from Barcelona, and what are you talking about? I'm cheating on you, you know. And then I think about, oh shit. She yeah, was, little Dirk just got caught cheating. Right, uh, she was right. She everybody was, did it. Right, she was binging on Saturday watching you. Love and Hip Hop, and now yeah. I gotta have a Love and Hip Hop moment in my relationship. Yeah. So I think those three things have really impacted the hell out of us, and and um, and it's scary, man, because I don't, you know, I don't, I feel sorry for the people that aren't allowed to properly mature into who they supposed to be, and they manipulated by, you know our past, and and they just never find happiness. And then they get satisfied with being 40, you know, living where they live, don't want to get out of there, don't want to take advantage of any business opportunities and just sit in and fester, you know? Solutions for the state of black culture. Because <clears throat> social media, you can put that into the reality TV stuff as well. I mean, any all of that stuff... It's, it's good and bad, because, I mean, reality TV, like you said, they make it, they're getting big checks for scripts, so it's really, it's entertainment. So some people provide for their family. Some people know how to turn it on and turn it off. And you got social media as a platform where it changed your life for the better or for worse. I feel like it's all about what you process and what you allow. So as far as solutions for the culture, you know, what are some solutions? What do you think the culture needs to push forward? I mean, first of all, if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, if you're trying to be a solid man to your family, if you're trying to be a great young woman and, and find your husband, you got to curate your social media, right? Like, if you're on IG, you know, they got that button that says not interested. And if you hit that shit enough, all that ignorant shit won't show up, you know? Shade Room and Cardi B throwing bottles at people. Like, all that are just kind of like, you know, no shade at Cardi because whoever threw that water deserved the bottle, but I just don't want to see, yeah. you know, shit that, you know. And you start following and going to your notifications and hit the reels and the stories and the posts of the positive people in your life and kind of change the dynamic of how the algorithm finds you. Right. It, I think it'll be more peace and joy. Um, that's one way that you can do it where you can control. Definitely God in your life, you know, um, at some level, some aspect of spirituality and, and, and some continuity with that because, you know, if you keep putting yourself in a church or at least watch a few sermons online a week, it'll change your mindset and, and, uh, and, and help you find peace. Because a lot of people don't understand, like, peace is, you're in total control of peace. Yeah, if you absolutely. see something and it scares you, you're in control of that fear. You know, you literally can say, that shit don't scare me. And if you're in tune with your body, it will stop immediately, you know. Or 
some young sister breaks up with some dude that she thought she was going to be with forever. All that pain and in the room and can't move and crying and screaming, you control all of that. You really can seriously just tell yourself, not today. Today I move on. You can manifest, make, say some, some repetition and quotes to yourself in the morning and literally free yourself from that. So I think spirituality is very important. Big time. And then, you know, I think um, I think some of the OGs in the community need to stop being suckers and, uh, and, and, and tell people, you know, be an elder and tell cats when they whack and when they're doing whack stuff and don't be worried about the young boy got the gun when he disrespecting his girl in front of you. And, you know, and, and just, you know, in, in my day, if I wild out, I get a phone call. And they'd be like, yo, what part of the game is this? I heard you was in blah, blah, blah last night, wilding out. You was with these cats at the tunnel when you start moving with them. Damn. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and fall That's back. That's it, yeah. But now it's like, you know, all OGs, nobody wants to say nothing. And when I say OGs, I mean women and men. You know, like you walking out your building or walking in your building with your groceries and some young girl that's voluptuous, just, just finding her sexuality is walking out the door looking like a whore at 5 p.m. going to the basketball games. Like, yeah. you got to, like, kind of pull that coat. For sure. You know? What you doing. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, think, I think nobody does that, man, right now. And then the younger cats got to be open to conversation because the new game – that high school, college, and young adults play is annoy you enough that you don't talk to them anymore. So a lot of a lot of parents are so annoyed that they allow the kid to go upstairs in the room and escape, go downstairs in the basement and escape, yeah. walk out the house, come back whenever they want to because they're so fed up. Mm -hmm. But the key is to never get I fed up. Yeah, nah. Never get fed up. So, yeah, it's a lot, man. It's, it's, it's heavy, man. What's next for Chris Latimer? I was just, I was just, this, this no shade to you. I was just on Instagram and Gilly put out a post. He said, uh, <laughs> Gilly's an asshole. He said, you know, we, we don't care what you're doing. We don't want you, what you was doing in 1998. We, we want to know what you're doing now. Well, with that being said, you know, what's, what's next for Chris Latimer? Well, first of all, I call that bullshit because all your niggas is chasing throwbacks. So what I did in the 90s is very important. Oh, absolutely. I ain't say it. Gilly right. said it. You know what I'm saying? But um, <laughs> Shout out to Gilly. I mean, I got... What's next for you? I got a documentary that I'm working on mm -hmm. with some very successful people. Actually, I can give you a hint. Please. Uh, Cootie and Chike that did the, the Genius documentary. Okay. Um, we got a documentary working on. That's amazing. Um, I got a project that, that me and... Uh, Charlemagne is working on, which I'm I'm pretty excited about. Um, I got a liquor brand I'm about to launch. Oh wow! God willing, in the next nine months or so. Okay. Um, I won't get too deep into that. So you sent us a bottle, man. Yeah, nah, of course. You know, when we get there, you know, you come to all the parties. Always. Yeah. I got um, I got another trademark I own that I haven't put out yet. Um, that's. Real 90s, but dope at the same time. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure somebody will search and find it. So I own a trademark to God Body. 
Okay. So I don't know if you know 5% I'm, 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 of Of course I do. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. You know, I don't know, man. You be it's playing me, young boy on the weekend nah, and old nah. G on the weekdays. I'm him, man. You know what I'm saying? So I owe that trademark. So I'll be coming out with some product, some guy body product eventually. I've actually, actually, I bought that trademark uh, the day before my dad's funeral in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I own that. And, um, you know, still got ACA, got some other things that I'm I'm trying to do. Um, you know, you know, I, I might uh, I don't know, I might I might check this uh, Ferris World Ball thing. You know what I'm saying? Y'all getting a little loud out there with the pound. Oh, Greenberg, dude, man, we come, we breathe life in the things. Come man. on, man, you come know, on, man. You do, know, man. so I might I might chin check. You know, I might, you know, might might show up next year. So we, we appreciate it. I mean, you a legend, man. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that. Let the viewers so. know where to follow you at, man. I, I don't know if you got the way you you uh, talking, like man. you know, you on gospel.com. So if you, nah, give I me mean, your social media. Listen, ain't nothing wrong with loving God, baby. Um, no, absolutely. My social leap, social media is I am Chris Lat. Um, and uh, the clothing line again is acaclothing.com. And uh, you know that's about it, man. Yo, enough is normal. Unk, always good to see pleasure. you. Good to see you too. It's good to see. Thanks you. for having me. Always, man. We signing out.